the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Ferrario and I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio. We are live from the new E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Honest question for you, Alex. Yeah, buddy. When does it stop being the new E&B Granite Studio and just be the Granite E&B Granite Studio? Well, I'll tell you what. Take two fingers and wipe across this beautiful granite countertop. Okay. And when you lift those fingers up, if there's dust on them, well, that would never happen on an E&B Granite. So then this thing will countertop. never get old. It is always new because okay. that's how good this countertop is from ENB Granite Studios. So we are live from the new ENB Granite <laughs> Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Blues in action on Saturday. Can't wait to watch that. We will have the kickoff party tomorrow at Copper Fire out in Belleville. So we'll talk to you about that coming up here in just a little bit. But we want to start things off with the Cardinals and really a Major League Baseball postseason topic, Alex, because there were some stats that were thrown around yesterday that I find to be particularly interesting as it pertains to the Cardinals. There have been five shutouts so far in this Major League Baseball postseason. There were seven in last year's expanded playoffs. The most in any one postseason during the wildcard era was 2016 when there were 10. Offense is always at a premium in the playoffs. This year may so than it has been at any point in time in recent memory. There are only five teams this postseason that have a batting average at two, or excuse me, there are five teams this year that have a postseason batting average of below 215. Below 215. That's terrible. That's below the Mendoza line, man. Teams are batting that way. Only the Red Sox, Astros, and the White Sox have an OPS postseason um, above 700. Teams can't hit right now. And the reason, of course, is because the pitching always gets better once you get to the playoffs. You don't see the underbelly of the bullpen. Starters are going shorter. They're not seeing a lineup the third time through. It all makes sense. But when you hear some of these numbers, and it's not just the Cardinals, it's the Brewers, it's this series that we're going to watch come to a finale tonight. It's some of the teams in the American League as well. The White Sox didn't hit the way that we expected them to. What does it tell you about the Cardinals? And does it make you feel a little bit better about their lack of hitting in the wildcard game in particular? First of all, I'm trying to digest all of this data, T-Bone, that he just threw at me. <laughs> I mean, geez, I feel like I'm in... Uh, let, let me put it in layman's terms. went over terms. my head. Yeah, let me put it in layman's terms. I feel like I'm Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Nobody's scoring. Nobody's hitting in the postseason. Does that make you feel better all about right. the Cardinals' lack of scoring? Now I don't it? appreciate you speaking dumb to me, so uh, don't like that either, BK. I appreciate it. I kind of got it now. 
It's like the Michael Scott. Now explain it to me like I'm five. There we go. Um, it, it doesn't really change my feeling for that wild card game because Max Scherzer was hittable in that game. Like I, I, I've seen some performances, like watching Logan Webb's performance for San Francisco against the Dodgers. What was that game two? I believe of this series. That was like, okay, I can understand the offense because his stuff was just nasty. And for some reason, man, he was just, he was just, it, it was incredible. But going back to that Cardinals game against the Dodgers, Max Scherzer was walking guys. Max Scherzer was giving up hits. The Cardinals just weren't taking advantage of it. And when you look at those numbers, and again, BK, great data research from you, but I, I, I then go through the individual teams like, okay, the Cardinals. Well, I think we all kind of expected the, the, the offense to be silent in that wild card game. Let's go to the Yankees. The Yankees probably were one of those teams below the Mendoza line. The Yankees' offense was in question all season long because sometimes they were hot, sometimes they were cold. Yep. The Milwaukee Brewers, another team that scored runs, but they were basically defined from how good their pitching was. So I see that, and then I go to the Cardinals' wild card game, and I say, okay, so pitching is what's winning this postseason. But I still feel like the Cardinals' biggest hole that was lacking in their playoff series was the fact that they didn't have guys who could come in in the clutch. And you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Giants. Heck, you even look at the White Sox, who didn't get past the Houston Astros. They had clutch hitters, man. And I think that's what was missing from the Cardinals' postseason. Yeah, I can't really. I, I feel okay about the performance in the postseason. Not okay about it, but I understand it because that's how it is in the postseason. It is. Basically, every team, it comes down to who could just get that one run. One to three runs is basically what wins it in the postseason. So I don't look at it and say the Cardinals kind of underperform because that's kind of what I expected. And even though Max Scherzer didn't have his best stuff, when he doesn't have his best stuff, his stuff's even as good as Logan Webb's was in game two. That's just how good Max Scherzer is. So I don't really look at it and say, you know, sure, it was disappointing, but I don't say, I don't look at what's happened in the postseason and go, Man, the Cardinals, the Cardinals could have been better. They could have done that. I, I think that's kind of what I expect in the postseason. Did you come through with the one big hit? No, but I, I, that's going to happen to teams on most nights in the postseason. Here are some on-base percentages for teams so far this postseason. On-base percentage. I'm not even talking about batting average. The Dodgers are at 299. The Cardinals were at 289 for their one game, and that's the thing that kind of throws this off. Yeah. They played one game as opposed to a lot of these teams that were four or five so far. The Rays were at 266 for their on-base percentage in the ALDS. The Brewers, 263. The Giants right now, who face the same pitching that you faced in the wild card game, they're batting 184, they're getting on base 22% of the time, and they're slugging 300 so far in the NLDS. The Yankees were the worst of any team so far in the postseason. They did not have a walk, and they hit 188 in their one-game wild card setting. Teams just aren't hitting, man. They're not getting on base. They're not walking. Nobody is hitting for a whole lot of power right now other than the Red Sox. They're the only team with a slugging percentage this postseason above 440. So what you're watching right now is a classic postseason where pitching is winning. And this is where I do wonder moving forward, Alex, what does this tell you about the Cardinals? Because there's also another trend that is taking place in the postseason yet again. And it is just a more dramatic version of what we have seen in the playoffs in recent years. Do you know there have only been two starts this postseason of at least seven innings? Two. It was Logan Webb and Max Scherzer. It's out of 36 opportunities. There have been just two starts of at least seven innings. 
Meanwhile, there have been six starts of two innings or fewer in 20, 20 instances. So the majority of the time, when you turn on a baseball game, when you get home from work, the majority of the time, you are going to see a starter fail to throw at least five innings. And that's not necessarily because they stink. It's because teams are going out there at the first sign of trouble, taking their starter out, bringing in this parade of relievers that they trust in high leverage spots. And you've got four, five, six, seven different relievers that you trust as the game goes on from the fourth into the ninth inning. Does this change anything about the need for a starter going into next year, in your opinion, Alex? Because I know you've got to have the starters to get through the regular season. I get that entirely. But if our focus is on the Cardinals as a postseason team, does this mean that the, the, the focus should actually be on relief pitching, not so much the starters and who's going to fit into that fifth spot under the rotation? I don't know if it's for relief pitching. I think it's strengthening your bullpen, and I think the Cardinals have that option for them. Yeah, that's Don't actually what you said. Pitching. Strengthening your bullpen. But the way I was <laughs> going with that was, like, I don't think you have to go onto the market and go after, like, relievers. What I mean by that is, like, you have depth to your starting pitching. You're not going to be able to use all of those guys in a five-man rotation, especially in the playoffs. So what I was getting at before you rudely interrupted me, PK, to make fun of what I was trying to make the point on was I think some of the guys that will be fighting for your rotation will be the weapons for you to strengthen your bullpen, right? Like, I think you'll have guys like Johan Oviedo, guys like Jake Woodford, maybe a guy like Matthew Levator if he doesn't crack your postseason rotation. Because let's be honest, if you're in a seven-game series, you're going to throw out there Adam Wainwright, Dakota Hudson, Jack Flaherty, and unfortunately, probably a Miles Michaelis. Whoa, so, I know, I'm sorry. For? So the rest of those guys will be strengthening your bullpen rather than going out there and re-signing a Luis Garcia or going after a, I don't even think he's going to be available, but a Craig Kimbrell, like on the trade market from the White Sox. I don't think you have to do that. I think you look at what you have internally and say, okay, we feel like all of these guys are going to be better this upcoming season. That is strengthening our bullpen rather than searching for relievers. And I thank you, BK. I, I think you still need to look at starters, and it's not necessarily for the postseason, but you need them to get to the postseason, as we saw this year. You didn't have the starting depth, and it almost puts you on the verge of not seeing the playoffs. Because when it does come to playoffs, yeah, it comes down to having basically about six relievers that you can trust out of your pin that can be strikeout guys. I mean, that's why I thought you could start Dakota Hudson after only being on the big league roster for like two weeks heading into the postseason because he'd give you two, maybe three solid innings, and then you had six guys to cover the rest. And that's what we're seeing a lot of teams do this postseason. So it's not necessarily that you need to look to add starters like the top-end starters that can win you ball games in the postseason. It's about finding those guys that you can bring back for depth because you kind of have your top guys. If Jack Flaherty's healthy, he's a top guy. Dakota Hudson, he's a top guy. Hell, I think Miles Michaelis is a top guy if he's right and is healthy. So I look at that and I say you look at adding the depth guys like a John Lester to help get you through the regular season, and then you can just kind of push them to the side on the postseason and make sure that bullpen is full of weapons. All right, See, someone's wearing his mow tie. Th- this Thank is you. why I-, I do think there are some that, in my opinion, have learned the wrong lessons from this Cardinal season. Because one of the big lessons was the Cardinals didn't have the pitching depth that they needed. That was maybe the single biggest lesson to learn this year from the Cardinal season. And some have taken that to mean you've got to go out into the market and get Max Scherzer. You've got to go into the market and get Marcus Stroman, one of those top-end guys that's going to hit the market this offseason. I just completely disagree with that. 
Would I like to have Max Scherzer on this team? Sure. But if it's going to cost me $50 million to do so on an annual basis, well, that limits everything else that I can do. And basically, I'm going to have another offseason where I get one player. And it's just the Max Scherzer show. And you hope that everything works out from there and all of the guys that you're bringing back improve from within. That's not the approach that I would want to take. My lesson that I learned from this season for the Cardinals pitching was, man, look at the guys that saved the season. It was Wade LeBlanc and John Lester and Jay Happ and TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia. It was guys that were released or thrown to the scrap heap by their former teams and basically given to the Cardinals for free. The Cardinals got these guys for players that they didn't want any longer or for free by just picking them up off of the free agent market mid-season. If you can get right the ship with those guys in season, you don't need to go out there and get a 10 to $20 million starter. You need to get guys that you can trust to get you through some innings and that will throw strikes consistently to make sure that you're able to have the depth to get through the regular season. That's the lesson that I learned. So I'm shopping more in that bargain bin uh, model the way that the Cardinals have had a lot of success in recent years and I'm with you BK and don't don't confuse what BK is saying with well the Cardinals don't need Max Scherzer I mean everyone would love to have Max Scherzer he makes you a better team but you don't need to spend 50 million dollars on a pitcher this offseason heck I don't think you should be spending more than 10 million dollars on a pitcher this offseason I will even go a step further if you could get Max Scherzer at 20 million dollars a year sign me up I'm in of course but Scherzer all of the reports and we've heard this from multiple insiders now are that he is going to reset the market in terms of an average salary and Trevor Bauer just did that last year at 45 million dollars per season it's going to cost you 45 plus million per year on a two to three year deal to get Max Scherzer. I'm not interested at all in that kind of thing. I don't even know if you should be spending more than $10 million on a starting pitcher. I really think if you're going to be getting a starting pitcher, you're going bargain bin shopping. And someone texted in and said, lack of starting pitching depth is the reason we're not in the playoffs. No, the reason you're not in the playoffs are because you went 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. Because your offense couldn't hit Max Scherzer and the Dodgers bullpen. You couldn't hit Kenley Jansen, who was taken away as the closer last season for the Dodgers. That was what happened to the Cardinals. That's why they're not in the playoffs. So if I'm spending my money next season, a majority of my money's not going to be going to starting pitchers to bolster my rotation depth. It's going to be to fix the offensive problems and find another guy who can hit in the top of my lineup to make my lineup dangerous from top to bottom. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, you got to just find those starting pitchers to get you to the postseason. And to me, it is all about the bullpen and the strikeout guys because look at Milwaukee. I mean, they had three solid, four solid starters, and it got them to the postseason with 90 wins, but they didn't have an offense that could keep up with it. And their bullpen, let's be honest, was basically one guy after the Devin Williams injury, and it was Josh Hader. So if you don't have the bullpen pieces that are the firearms coming out of the pin that can get guys out, and then you don't have an offense that can compete, you're just as good as the Milwaukee Brewers. You can win in the regular season, but you will do nothing in the postseason. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're live from the new ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. If you guys want to get involved in the show throughout the day today, you can always do so via the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. It's 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to play a game of Believe It or Not as we do each and every Thursday. But coming up next, what is Paul DeYoung's value, both to the Cardinals and across Major League Baseball? The Fastlane had an interesting take on this yesterday. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. 
Wall-to-wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We're live from the new E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. In about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. But right now, I want to talk about Paul DeYoung because he's one of the centerpieces of this offseason for the Cardinals. They've got to make a determination on what is his future. Is he a starting shortstop? I don't think so. Is he a utility infielder Whoa. for us? Maybe. Is he a guy that deserves to be traded? Possibly. And if you go that route, what's his value for teams across the league? What could you get in return for Paul DeYoung? This is something the fast lane talked about yesterday. Here's what it sounded like. What do you think Paul DeYoung would uh, uh, fetch? The Cardinals very in little the season uh, to be totally honest. I mean, look at look at the couple of years that he's coming off of and he's still attached to some money. So like if you're looking to make a splash via trade, well, Paul DeYoung's probably not going to be your splash guy. What you would be returning is just a 40 man player. It says probably what would be coming back, probably a pitcher of some sort. Uh, but you would be looking for another team to take on the salary of Paul DeYoung. Your point, PT, I don't, I don't think you're fetching a lot for him. But if you want to just kind of get, if you want to rid yourself of the question of Paul DeYoung, I think this is the offseason. The thing that I want for Paul DeYoung, if the Cardinals decide to go this route, because I think they're probably right. You're not getting a ton. He's $6 million this year, $9 million next year, and I think there's like a $2 million buyout. So let's call it $17 million over the next two years is what another team would be inheriting with DeYoung's contract. I think there's some teams that would be interested. I think a team like the Pirates or the Rockies, like teams that are in the rebuild process right now, maybe even the Tigers, if they end up striking out on the shortstop market. And they're like, you know what? Let's buy low on this guy. Let's see if there's anything still in there. And if he hits, great. And if not, what are we really out right now? We struck out on the market that we hoped that we could play in. And let's see what this guy's got available to us. I think a lot of those teams might have some interest in a guy like Paul DeYoung. What I would be looking for is for a trade similar to what the Cardinals got for Luke Voigt when they got Giovanni Gallegos and similar to, I believe it was the Tommy Pham deal that netted them Henesis Cabrera. Get another reliever, a young arm that might not have proven it just yet in the big leagues, but is on the cusp of making it to the big leagues. If you can find another guy like that, that could give you innings in the sixth or seventh and would be on your 40 man roster. Maybe they start out next year in AAA or they're ready to go in the big leagues. That's the kind of thing that I would be looking for in return for Paul DeYoung. You don't need a huge return, but I think that reliever would be more valuable to this team next year than a guy like Paul DeYoung would be. You know, it's hard for me to believe that he's not going to get you anything because when we talked with Nick Groke during the season of Colorado, he said that you'd be able to get Trevor Story for Paul DeYoung. Now, I think that was more of a Colorado was in a desperate situation because they were going to be without Trevor Story and they needed a replacement at shortstop. But look, with the DH more than likely being implemented next season in both the National League and it's already in the American League, that's another position for Paul DeYoung to play. Do I think you're going to get a Matthew Libator return for Paul DeYoung? Well, obviously not. That's not going to happen. I think he could be a part of something for you to get what you are searching for that's not just a reliever. I'm talking about a shortstop like we've talked about in the past. I think you could put together, right? Remember when BT said, get creative, 
he's a part of that creative deal that you would come up with. And I think he would be a desirable asset for some teams. But I'm with you. I think if you're going straight up one for one, you're just looking for depth for Paul DeYoung. Because if you're trading him, you're basically admitting, okay, we're moving on from Paul DeYoung, either to Edmundo Sosa, Tommy Edmond, or a shortstop that's on the market. But I'm not just going to look to get something to get something. I'm looking to get something in terms of going to help my World Series chances this season. And I think one for one straight up, that means you can get something desirable enough for Paul DeYoung this year. You brought up the story situation at midseason, and that's a really good point. And I do think it's going to make people believe that he has maybe a little more valuable than he actually does. The reason why I think he would have been an interesting candidate in a trade for story is because story at that point had two months left with the Rockies. The kind of deal that I would be interested in for the Cardinals is one where they get a reliever that has six years of control remaining. And that's where it it differentiates things. And I know that this is silly because Trevor Story is a significantly better baseball player than the guy that you're likely to get in return in terms of the reliever for Paul DeYoung. But the contract makes such a big difference in the value of that deal is we have club control over him for the next six to seven years, especially if they haven't reached the big leagues just yet. The other thing, you mentioned getting creative. One thing the Cardinals could do to maybe even get a better player than I'm, than I'm suggesting, you might be able to package a guy like uh, Paul DeYoung with Andrew Kisner. And now you've got a catcher that another team can have along with a potential starting shortstop. And if you're getting, I do think a reliever is the type of thing that uh, the position that I would be looking to acquire in this kind of a deal or a lower level starting pitcher. Um, if you're able to get something like that, you could be looking at a pretty darn good reliever that you could get in return, man. And you're, I mean, we're talking about guys like Giovanni Gallegos that profile as set up men or seventh inning, uh, guys like you could get a really good player that helps you both during the regular season and into the postseason. Uh, for a couple of guys that really don't have roles on the Cardinals going into well, next year. you'd be able to get yourself a starting pitcher, too, probably. If you're going to search in that market, rather than going to sign a guy and having to overpay for somebody because there's competition, you might be able to package not just Kisner and Paul DeYoung, you might be able to add one of your minor league starting pitchers as well and bring something back that helps your major league team this season. And that's why I don't think you look at Paul DeYoung as a one-for-one. I think you look at Paul DeYoung as one of these centerpieces for a bigger trade because that's how you're going to make yourself better. It does a couple of things. It takes you out of the free agent market where you're trying to address a need that other teams are doing, and you're going to have to overpay for that. But two, it takes that off of your checklist, right? Like you sit there and say, okay, we got the starting pitcher for us. Our pitching depth is set. Now let's address the shortstop market. It's the best case scenario for the Cardinals. And I think Paul DeYoung, Andrew Kisner, and then, insert other name here that's your best bet in terms of upgrading this offseason yeah I, I kind of agree with you guys where it almost feels kind of low risk high reward for both teams you take on a guy that they probably feel kind of iffy on but they're willing to part with and you give them one that you're willing to part with now granted he has the longer contract but it's only two years and like you said bk it's like 17 19 million dollars something like that if you choose to buy out of it but you're if you're trading for paul DeYoung, you're hoping for that spark of that guy that hit 30 home runs and if you're the cardinals you're trading for that reliever that shows up as a guy that could be a Giovanni Gallego. So to me, if you can find that team that's willing to partner with you and say, all right, let's just swap two guys, low risk, high reward, then I think it's the perfect idea because I just don't see a fit for Paul DeYoung here next season because I just think he needs a change of scenery. And he's kind of talked about that himself as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, the other thing that I would just be curious about is what do the Cardinals want out of their shortstop position going into next year? Because, and Alex, we were talking about this a little off-air earlier today. I, I think it's almost like a sliding door scenario because if they end up acquiring one of these big-name shortstops on the market, whether that be Correa, who, by the way, was quoted in a, an article up in Chicago earlier today saying basically the, the Astros didn't value me the way that I value myself. That's yeah, $300 million. They offered him a six-year or a five-year $125 million contract. He seems to believe that he's more in the $300 million range. He said he, he doesn't. We all? He said that uh, the guys that get the 10-year contracts are his age with his profile. So he's looking for a eight to 10 year deal. You could probably go ahead and cross his name off. Do the trash the cans come with him? <laughs> I know. I don't know if that's a part of it or not. Or is that just Altuve? You could reunite him with Jeff Albert. Maybe that's a oh, match made in go. heaven. Now you just claimed that Albert's a cheater. I didn't say that at all. <laughs> um, whether it be him or Corey Seager or Trevor story, yeah. whoever the guy is, if you get one of those players, of course, what you're expecting out of your shortstop position is a tremendous hitter and a guy that can help you both offensively and defensively. If you don't get that guy at the shortstop position, though, I think what you're hoping for is just for a really good defender that hits about league average and you end the season basically getting the same production out of shortstop that you did this year, which was middle of the order, middle of the pack type of production. They were 15th this year in wins above replacement out of their shortstop position when you combine what they got from both DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa. I think that's what you're kind of hoping for going into next year. But if you go that route, if you don't get one of those top-end shortstops on the market, that's when the guys like Kyle Schwarber or J.D. Martinez or Nick Castellanos, those other big bats that are available to you, that's when they start to emerge in this picture. It's got to be one or the other. You can't go into this offseason thinking, eh, we're just going to have internal improvements and improve the pitching. You do need more in terms of the hitting. You, you do need somebody to be added from the outside. And I think it's, it really is a sliding door decision of, what do we want out of our shortstop position? Well, it depends what we're paying for that position. Here's how this goes for me. And T-Bone, I'd like to get yours on this as well. It, it, it starts with my shortstop needs to be a middle-of-the-order hitter and a great defender, which is a lot to ask. But if you look at the guys that are on the market right now, that's what they all seem to be. But if I'm not getting that from the shortstop, well, then I need to have a gold-glove caliber defender and I have to find another middle-of-the-order bat elsewhere. So that's going to the point of, okay, well, then Edmundo Sosa's my shortstop, but I better be getting a Kyle Schwarber or Nick Castellanos as my DH hitter because that's what this team needs. They need another big-time hitter that can hit one through five to lengthen your lineup. But if not, well, then you better be finding that at shortstop or going at his DH. Yeah, you, you can't go into next year with Edmund um, whether it be Sosa or DeYoung and Bader at the bottom of your order, along with Yachty or Molina. You have to get somebody who forces Yachty down into the seven, hot, uh, seven spot. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. That's a perfect way to put it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of questions and answers. But coming up next, let's do some believe it or not. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will have a starting shortstop next year making at least $20 million per season. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to more exclusive blues talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. It actually sounds worse. 
now that you cut it. I know. And BK always complaining no, about it being not. It's, it's so too much long. quicker. We can get out of it. Like it's uh, yeah. But what I'm saying better. is, it's terrible. We need to get rid of it altogether. No, no, that ain't true at all. That that's a terrible thing. I thought that was a great intro. That I was didn't. a great intro I right didn't. there. I didn't. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text terrible. line for believe it terrible. or not. Let's start out with this one, Alex. Believe it or not. Trevor Story will sign for less than $100 million. Oh, I'm going to believe this because he's going to come to the Cardinals and sign for like $70 million because he wants to play here. I feel like $20 million total yeah. over five years. Yeah, no, Four ten million years. A year. No, only $2 million a year. Yeah. He figures no one will take care of him. This is sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. No, he is not signing for less than $100 million. Are you sure? I am very sure. Yeah, I don't think he's going to sign for Somebody less than $100 Somebody is going million. to pay him a lot of money. I don't know, man. I, I'm really... Here's how this is going to go. And you can mark me down on this. I'll eat crow if this is not true. Carlos Correa will get the most. Corey Seager will get the second most. Trevor Story will get the third most. And all three Over of those Marcus guys. Marcus Simeon. He'll get more than Marcus Simeon. Yeah. All three of those guys I just named are all going to get over $200 million. Trevor Story's getting 200 Yeah. You count me out on that. Yeah, I don't believe that one. I think he's around 100 to 150. That's where I think he'll sit. I don't really get a good read, though, on this market because I can only name just a couple of teams that have interest. And, like, you keep hearing the Yankees will be involved. But after we talked with Kylie McDaniel, I'm not feeling so good about the Yankees being involved in this market. So I don't have a good read. So I think there could be two of these guys that really kind of drop way down from where we think heading into this offseason. I have no idea what the value is right now on Trevor Story. He is not coming off of a very good offensive season, and I know there is a lot that goes into that. There's injuries that go into it. It's a weird year for Colorado. He thought he was getting traded. There's a lot of explanations as to why he had the season that he did. There are still people, right or wrong, who believe in the core splits, and that could potentially bring down his value a little yeah, bit. Yeah, how'd that work out for the people that believed it with Arenado? Hey, I'm totally with you, man. You, you don't have to – no disagreement here whatsoever. But the splits on story are pretty significant, home versus road. It's 972 OPS at home, 750 OPS on the road. I think he's going to be fine. I think he will still be a really good hitter no matter where he goes, and you're going to see that come up. But it is interesting nonetheless. I think I'm going to believe this. I think it's in play, at least, that he signs a one- to three-year deal and he gets, like, $20 million per season. So he still gets paid. They sucked you in, BK. I think he's going to be the guy. I I would not be surprised if him and Javi Baez settle for less money than we're all expecting. I think part of that's the new CBA. I think part of it is teams wising up to the long-term deals. He's 29 years old, so he's the older of this group of shortstops that are hitting the market. I don't think he's going to get the long-term deal. I, I think Trevor Story might end up getting less than $100 million. So I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe this. Believe it or not, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Nolan Gorman next year will be the Cardinals version of Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux has emerged as an X-factor offensively for the Dodgers in the series against the Giants. Believe it or not, Nolan Gorman will be the Cardinals version of Gavin Lux. I'll believe this. I think he might be a little bit better, though, because I think he's going to have more power than Gavin Lux. I mean, Gavin Lux this season, what, hit 242? Mm-hmm. Not bad. I think Nolan Gorman can do that. But I think Nolan Gorman's going to emerge in terms of a power threat for this team. I don't think he's going to be here all season long like Gavin Lux was for the Dodgers. What did he play? Like over 100 games, mm-hmm. I think, this year. Um, a lot of that was because of the injury to Corey Seager and then when they acquired Trey Turner. I'll believe this, though. I think he'll be, if good, 
as good, if not better, than Gavin Lux for the Cardinals. I just think it's going to be for a short sample size this season rather than the full 162. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think I'll believe that, too. I think he'll be better than Lux. I'm kind of on the same path as you, especially after we heard Mike Schultz uh, quote yesterday talking about him as an everyday DH. I think he's going to force his way onto the team, and it's going to be around June, July. That's about when I kind of expect that he'll kind of get the call. Then maybe he gets to 100 games, but even then, at some point, Will he be on the bench? Will he be starting? I don't know. I don't feel confident in saying either or, but I do agree with you that I think he will be better than Gavin Lux for the Cardinals next season. I think so, too. I think you're going to see Nolan Gorman have a bigger impact for the Cardinals than Gavin Lux had for the Dodgers, and that's not to take away from what Gavin Lux is doing right now in the postseason. He's been good for them. He's been an important piece to what they're doing. He should have had a home run in game three. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, Didn't quite get out for him. And the other uh, the other night, he ended up, I think, getting on base four times, if I'm not mistaken. Really? It's been really good for the Dodgers in the postseason. So he's had a big impact. I think that's the kind of impact you could see from Nolan Gorman next year. Believe it or not, guys, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We talked with Kyle Glazer of Baseball America earlier today, and he made a very interesting comment. He said he believes that Juan Yepes could be for the Cardinals next year what Luke Voigt has been for the Yankees. Believe it or not, Juan Yepes is the next Luke Voigt. Um, boy. So I saw some pictures of him at the Arizona Fall League. He's a big dude. He is a big dude. Like Luke Voigt size. Um, with that being said, man, I'm not going to believe that because I don't think you're going to see a home run king in Juan Yepes. That's, that's the part that I'm so hesitant with. I think Luke Voigt, and we talked about this off-air as well. You said it, BK. I think Luke Voigt has benefited from hitting in Yankee Stadium. I don't think he's doing that at Bush Stadium. Um, I'm not sure Juan Yepes is going to be able to crush the baseball and hit 40-plus home runs in a season uh, like Luke Voigt did. I think he's going to be a good weapon for them off the bench. I think he could be like a Matt Adams for the Cardinals. Luke Voigt might be a little too much for me, so I'm not going to believe that. Yeah, I, without really having seen a lot of him, and he kind of has just kind of appeared on the scene this season, it kind of felt like I'm not going to believe the Luke Voigt comp. If he becomes that, then that's that's great. I would love to see that, but Heck yeah. I just don't know if he can be kind of what Alex said, that guy that could be a home run king. It's going to be hard to do that here in uh, St. Louis at Bush Stadium. I think he can be a great bat to come off your bench, be a good right-handed power-hitting bat that comes off the bench and can contribute, but I just don't know if he can become Luke Voigt, so I'm going to not believe it for now. So here's what Luke Voigt has done on average over the last three years since becoming a regular player for the Yankees. An average of 80 games per year with 11 doubles, 18 home runs, and a 260 batting average to go along with basically a 500 slugging percentage. I think Yepes could be pretty close to that. Is that, is that crazy? I, I don't I don't know that he's going to have those kinds of power numbers. I, I If I had to guess, I think Juan Yepes is going to be higher on the on-base percentage and lower on the power numbers than Luke Voigt. Can he be something similar to that, though? Yeah, I'm going to believe that. I, Juan Yepes is one of the more intriguing names for the Cardinals this offseason. Could he be the Cardinals' devil magic player next year? Does he have that type of capability? I mean, for everything they're they're selling this kid as, yeah, I definitely can have the devil magic for the Cardinals because I don't know nationally if anybody really believes anything with this Juan Yepes. Uh, But from what they're saying about his time down in Memphis, for what they're saying in the Arizona Fall League so far, he's got the power, he's got the size and the capability. Again, like, 
I just don't see how you're going to utilize him next season because he plays first and third, and neither of those guys are going to be taking a lot of DH days off. And bench bat. you got like five guys that we're already talking about as DH on top of going into the free agent market. I just don't know if I see Juan Yepes as, oh, yeah, he's going to be here all season making Luke Voigt numbers. I think he could be next year's Edmundo Sosa, who starts out the year as a bench bat, and we're like, eh, okay, Juan Yepes is here. And then finishes the season as a guy that is way more of a significant contributor than we were See, expecting. I see more of a Matt Adams, where everyone sure. thinks that he's going to be a starting player and he's going to be this weapon, and the next thing you know, he's a bench player. And that's no disrespect to Big City, because we love him here on BK and Ferrario, but Matt if Adams... If he becomes Matt Adams, I'm in. That's a win, because yeah. Matt Adams was a threat every single time he stepped to the plate, whether it was off the bench or in an everyday lineup. That's what I think Juan Yepes's ceiling looks like. The thing that could help him as being that devil player magic guy is that he has no splits. And and I think that's something that yeah. you could see translate to the major leagues. It's not very often that you see a guy that has no splits in the minors, and then all of a sudden he can't hit right-handed pitching in the majors. It's possible he becomes that but I think he's going to be a guy that really has no splits and probably does lose some power. But as long as he has no splits and he can hit righties and lefties, then yeah, he has every opportunity to become that devil magic guy for the Cardinals. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, if you could pick any one Blues player to have a career year in 2021, who would it be? We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. Got questions? We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We are broadcasting live from the new ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. That's Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey, guys, what's the NFL game that you're most interested in watching going into this weekend? I'll give, this, give a start on this. I think the game that I'm most intrigued by is Cardinals versus Browns. None of us believe entirely in the Cardinals just yet. If they go on the road and they beat a Browns team that I think is really good, mm, they're good. I still won't be convinced. <laughs> yeah, there's still one loss to T-Bone. Yeah. At, at some point, I'm going to have to give them the credit that they deserve. And if they go on the road and beat the Rams and the Browns, that's as impressive a resume as any team in the league has. So that's, for me, the one that I am most interested in watching going into this weekend. Yeah, mine would be Chargers and Ravens is right up there because I have no feel on that one. But the other one I'm really intrigued by is is how does Vegas respond to the Gruden hire, firing? Yeah. Do they respond with just being terrible? Because I saw their new interim head coach, he was like in tears yesterday at the podium with his press conference because of the Gruden firing, whatever that may be. Um, do they respond by just looking like an awful team or do they respond by saying, no, we're still good? Uh, that's another one I'm really intrigued by because Denver kind of, Denver kind of pooed the battle yet last week. I think Dolphins Jags is uh, going to be my selection here. Why? No, oh, okay. no, no, I can't pick that. You're probably uh, picking the Jaguars, and that aren't you terrible? I, take two. I actually might go with the Jaguars. They're due for a win, right? No, I think mine's going to be the Monday night game: Bills and <laughs> no. Titans. I, I don't really know what the Titans are. I think the Bills are really good, but the Titans had high expectations coming into this year. And they haven't really lived up to them. I haven't been all that impressed. I'm interested to know what they look like against the Bills. I kind of expect the Bills to kind of wipe the floor with them, but I could see them hanging around if they can get Derrick Henry going in this game. Sneaky, interesting game, Vikings-Panthers. 
That's that's one of the yeah. You swayed me in picking the Vikings on our 101 ESPN Pick'em Challenge. They're the I'm, favorite right now. I they're will blame Vegas. you if I lose that one. Did you really listen to BK on a pick? I uh, know. Hey, my I picks, really my picks have been fine. It's the yeah, gambling it's that goes all. poorly. Yeah, you and I are at the bottom, T Bone. Yeah, my my picks straight up have been fine. The the problem has been um, the the. You know, the gambling well, with the lines. That's, well, look, let's be honest along. here. That's been a problem for me, too, because I think I broke my that's back yesterday. That's a good point. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers from the 618. Hey, guys, do you think that we are going to have a real baseball season next year? Or do you think that the CBA negotiations are going to get in the way? Alex, where's your confidence level on this? You know, if you would have asked me before this past season began, I would have said that it's not going to happen. Like, it's just too, the bridge has been burned too much. I'm starting to feel more like it gets done because I feel like both sides understand the repercussions if it doesn't get played financially and in terms of just a lot of those players. Like, are you going to take away a year from some of those veterans? So I think it gets done. I think it's going to be nasty for a little bit, but I think it does get done before the start of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it'll get done before the start of the season, but I think there's going to be that period where it's like, oh boy, this this isn't looking good. I because I believe the deal ends what December first. I kind of expect it to trickle into the new year. I I, I think they won't get something done until around J- early January, mid January, and then that's going to be really interesting to see because then you're going to see things really pick up in the off season. Right as we're getting ready to enter spring training, it better be real next year. For a million different reasons here in St. Louis, because I want to see a full 162 of Wayno and Yachty on their way out. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to see that cut short. Yeah, could you imagine people's reaction if MLB takes a year away from those two and they have to retire? No, I'm, th- I think they would come back for another season if that were to take place. But it's just another year of you don't know how long you're going to be able to get out of these guys with them p- playing at the top of their performance. So for that reason, it better be. And also like. Get this thing done early, man. Baseball needs a true offseason. It needs to be able to ride this momentum into the offseason because this is as much intrigue as baseball's had in an offseason in a while. Like, you have premium players that are hitting the open market. You have guys that could change teams like an NBA offseason where you've got on MLB Network and MLB Network Radio, every day there are going to be conversations about all-stars that could be going to new markets. That's good for the league. You need that. And if you keep uh, writing this CBA negotiation into the playoffs, what you'll be talking about instead is billionaires fighting with millionaires. Nobody wants to hear it. Not now, not ever. Millionaires aren't going to fight with billionaires. Billionaires are worth more. Okay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 636. Hey, guys, which Blues player do you think will surprise people the most with their performance this season? Alex, let's start with you on this. Um, Man, that's a good question. Most surprising season by any Blues I think Jake player. Wallman's going to surprise a lot of people this year. That's a good one. I, I think defensively, I'm still a little concerned of how he's going to perform because I, I don't know if he can handle like a Gabriel Landeskog who was just a beast in front of the net last night for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, but offensively, I think you might have more of an upside than what Vince Dunn was. I mean, he's got a scary good shot. Wow. Like he scored a goal in that last preseason game. And it was a snipe. And then he nearly had a second one that hit the crossbar. So I'm going to go with Jake Wallman here because I think people are going to be really surprised at how he plays this year. See, I was going to go with the other guy that's defensively that's not going to be in the opening night lineup. And I think it's going to be uh, Nico Mikola. I really like Mikola's play. I think he's going to become 
one of those guys that you can lean on that can kind of shut down some guys defensively. I, I, his big body in front of that net, I really think he's going to take the next step this year. Might surprise some people, and I think we could see him become a regular third defensive pairing guy later into the season. It's a good pick, too. Man, it's really interesting because there aren't a whole lot of options when it comes to the forwards. Like, most of what the Blues have up front yeah. is known commodities. I think people kind of know what to expect out of Sato, Riley, Perron, Shin, Buchnevich, Kairou. And then that third line maybe is where you could pick Thomas from. might surprise a lot of people, too. Like, that, if he hits a 50-assist plateau, he's about to go from a guy who was a bust to a guy who might be an emerging star. I think that's I, – I think you'd have to choose – if you're going forward on this, I think you'd have to choose somebody from the third line, whether it be Neil Thomas or Tarasenko. Don't sleep on Ivan Barbashev or Oscar Sundquist, too. But I think people know what to expect out of those guys, Yeah, right? but I think both of those guys could surprise you. If an injury takes place, I think both could surprise you in terms of a, a – a top nine forward who could score you 10 to 15 goals in a season. Yeah. And they're not going to do that on the fourth line. I just wouldn't be surprised by that. Like really? at this point, Son- so Sonny, if, if, Son- if Sonny scores 15, you wouldn't be surprised by that. No. Yeah. I'd if be kind of surprised by that. If he's pushed up the lineup, I think we saw last year when he was healthy that he has the potential to be able to do that. Like he was helping them on the power play. Mm-hmm. He was one of the guys that was actually standing in front of the net and giving yeah. them that presence that they missed so much. So, if he ended up having a better offensive season than expected because, knock on wood, hopefully this doesn't happen. But if Brandon Saad went down and they put him up there with Shin and Buchnevich and pushed Kairou up to the top line, yeah, I could see him getting 10 to 15 goals. So I, I think almost hmm. – so for that reason, because of my expectations for Sonny and Barbie and yeah. how high I am on them, I'm going to go to the defensive pairings. I, maybe this is too high. I think I'm going to go Scott Perunovich. If and when he's called up, and I think we could see him by mid to late season, he's a guy that I think has the potential to be special, man. After hearing what Craig Berube had to say about him with the fast lane in particular and some of the comments that he had, I think Perunovic might have a bigger role than we're expecting by the end of this year. So I'll go Perunovic as somebody that could surprise some people because of how good he is, both offensively and defensively. I don't disagree with you on Perunovic. I think by... December or January, you're going to see Perunovic a part of this team, and I think he's going to have an impact offensively. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I've got a list of three players. I want to ask Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, and you, the audience, if I could interest you in these guys. It's not the top of the market players that we've been talking so much about. I went I went some, for some bargain bin shopping, Alex. I want to see if I could interest you in these guys. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, if you could pick any one Blues player to have a career year this year, and I'm going to make a disclaimer here. Not named Jordan Bennington, because, of course, that's the answer. Any other Blues player that has a career year, who would you lock in before the season? We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. Wall-to-wall Blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you could pick any Blues player to have a career year this year, who would you go Jordan with? Jordan Bennington. It's 12.05. Your time check brought to like you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The one caveat here. You I can't go caviar. with Jordan Bennington. Who so? Who so? Yikes. If that's who you're picking, T-Bone. Because the that's, that's the not. obvious answer. If Jordan Bennington has a career year, the Blues are winning the Stanley Cup. 
Are they? Yes. <laughs> if he has a career year and everything else basically goes as planned, they're going to win the Stanley Cup because his career year is he becomes the best goalie in all of hockey. Yeah. So I, I would say that he is the obvious answer here. So as a caveat, we will add that in. But otherwise, so basically best skater. The, the guy that is a skater that can have a career Goalies year if you could lock it in, who would you go with? We asked this of Chris Kerber yesterday. Here's the answer he gave, Alex. I'm going to go with Pavel Buchnevich. And and the reason I go with Pavel Buchnevich is this. I think he, he's continued to have an upward trend over his last few years with the New York Rangers. He's on a better, deeper team than the New York Rangers are. I think he's going to be in a role to be really successful. And I think he's going to be the benefactor of the all-around team game and style of play that the Blues have. So if i got to lock it in on one guy, I think it might be that guy. I feel like Curbs might have gone with the guy most likely to have a career year as opposed to the guy that you would want to have a career year. Let's go with the guy you would want to lock in for a career year, Alex. If you could pick any one player, who would you go with? Man, I, I had a couple in mind. The text line is just swarming right now with Vladimir Tarasenko, and I think that's a really good take that I didn't consider because you're going to get a better asset in return if he returns to his 40-goal scoring uh, potential. My guy's Tory Krug, though, and – Here's why. In 1819, when the Boston Bruins went to the Stanley Cup final with the Blues, he had nearly a 60-point season, and I think he was almost a point-per-game player in the playoffs. If Tory Krug has a career year for the Blues, you're looking at a guy who could be in the Norse Trophy conversation. And I know the Norse Trophy is about offensive defensemen rather than defensive defensemen. That's fine because the Blues play as a five-man unit, and if Tory Krug has a career year, you're looking at a guy who could hit 60 to 70 points in a season, is going to make your power play one of the best power plays in the National Hockey League, and on top of it, is strong in front of his own net, because with the puck on his stick, he's not going to overpower anybody, but he's going to be able to exit the zone better than anybody in the Central Division. So my pick would be Tory Krug, because I think a career year for him one, makes a lot of Blues fans satisfied with a $6.5 million contract, but two, turns the Blues into a contender for a Stanley Cup once again. I really like that. He was number two on my list. My, I'm going with a four, and I'm going with Robert Thomas because I think if he has a career year, then the Blues are legitimately three lines deep, and I think it kind of starts with him because he has to be that guy that helps. And again, lines are going to change, but he's with Vladdy right now for opening night. Vladdy on that third line. I, I think if he, you can have Robert Thomas help set him up. James Neal is going to go to the net. He has to be more aggressive with his shot. He's got to shoot the puck more. But I think if Robert Thomas has a career year, then we are talking about this Blues team being three lines deep. If he doesn't, then I think there could be some question marks about that because then you got to start moving Tyler Bozak up and some of the other guys to center that line. What if I told you going into this year? 30 for 30. The Blues have a legitimate number one defenseman who can play 24 to 25 minutes per game, can shut down the opposing team's number one line, and finishes the year with 15-ish goals and 45-ish points. He's got a shot from hell, and oh, by the way... How did his shot come from hell? He's 28 years old and just signed a contract extension. Would you guys be pretty, pretty happy about that? Probably talking about Robert Bortuzzo. Who, Colton yeah. Pareko, I think, is the clear-cut number one answer for this. If you can get a career year out of Colton Pareko where he breaks out and becomes the player that we've heard so much about, and he's shown signs of this. Last year was a weird year that we know what happened with the injury, with the back. If he reverts back to form and not only gets back to where he was, but also then takes that leap forward of being a legit number one defenseman, if I could lock that in this year, 
man, that's the number one question that I have for this team. Where is the defense coming from? If you can get it and you can lock it in from Colton Pareko, I'm in. That that would be the guy for me that I've got the biggest, um, I've got the the most questions about this year. And if I could guarantee that he has a career season, he, for me, is the clear-cut number one answer. Uh, look, I, I think you don't go wrong with anybody on the defense because, honestly, somebody could make a good point for Justin Falk as well because Justin Falk is another guy who a career year means he's going to be a shutdown defenseman and he's also going to score you possibly 15 goals in a season, Norris Trophy conversation. Defense is the biggest area that is probably going to be looked at this season. One bad game, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon of this team's not good enough to play. But here's the deal. If you get career years from a Colton Pareko, from a Tory Krug, from a Justin Falk, you're already in a better position because the only way that this Blues team succeeds is if they get offense from their defensemen. Like, you can't have a bunch of defensemen that don't have points this season. Do you actually – I'm actually curious on that. I feel like that's less true this year than it has been in years past. And, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, but – because their forwards are so deep and because you have so many guys that I think could legitimately score 15 to 20 goals this year, I actually think it's less important this year that the defense, maybe from an assist standpoint, I would agree there. But from a goal production, that has been a priority for the Blues in recent years. They've got to have the goal production from their defensemen because they just weren't quite as deep goal scoring wise from their front lines. I feel like this year you've got that from up front in a way that you haven't in years past. Do you disagree with that? I, I don't disagree with it because I don't think you're looking for as much goals as you have in the past from your defensemen, but you are looking for offense from them. That's like, fair. In eighteen nineteen, when they were a cup champion, their defense was one of the more high point totals in the National Hockey League among gr- defensive groups. That's what you need again. That's what they missed in the bubble. That's what they missed last season. Your defense wasn't jumping up into the rush and creating offense. So the goals that are going to be scored by your forwards, BK, that's coming from assists from your defensemen. That's coming from shots from the point with traffic in front of the net. That's coming from Colton Pareko taking his slap shot. That's coming from Tori Krug looking for those quick wristers from the blue line. So I think the only way this Blues team is going to have success this season is if they see point totals rise from their defense because they have to jump up into the rush just as much as the off the forwards do. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved in the show. I, I am a little interested in the fact that we are getting a lot of people that are saying Vladimir Tarasenko I guess the question that I would have about that, Alex, first of all, I'm just not anticipating a career year out of Vladdy, and maybe that's unfair by me. Maybe it's possible he has a career year. But if he did, what would that do for his his trade talks? I mean, would would that change anything in your mind? Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are misled by the fact of, oh, well, you'll be able to bring back such a great return. Not really, because you're only going to be trading for one and a half years of Vladimir Tarasenko. Maybe he re-ups and signs with the team, but... Like, nobody's going to make a trade because Vladimir Tarasenko scores 15 goals in the first three months of the season because, one, there still is the lingering effect of three shoulder surgeries. Two, you only got the guy for one more year after this. And, look, he's already requested to be traded away from one place. How do you know he's not going to request to be traded away from another place? If he's better this year and if he has a career year, yeah, you'll probably see a better return than what you were offered this offseason. But I don't think you're looking at, oh, well, you'll get a first overall draft pick for Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, you'll get one of the better prospects in the National Hockey League. Like, you're not going to be able to pull that off. Maybe you can get something that really does benefit your team. 
but I don't think it makes that much of a difference if Vladdy's good this season in terms of your return. I'm wondering if you're if you're the Blues and Vladdy is having that career year, and let's say the defense is uh, playing, I don't know, playing really good and not playing above where I think they can be with this defensive unit. Do you even consider trading him, or do you wait till the off season? Because in my opinion, you almost would have to hold on to him. I mean, you held on to him, and we talked about how it was going to be this awkward situation. If he's having a career year, you're more than likely, in my opinion, one of the best teams in the West. So do you just hold on to him, or do you still look to move him? In my opinion, I would hang on to him and just figure it out in the off season. Yeah, see, here's where I'm at with that. And BK, give me your thoughts as well. Um, it, it, a lot of people are asking that too. Like, oh, well, he'll just stay here and you make a cup run. I don't think it matters. Like, yeah, he might make you a better team for a Stanley Cup push, but he wants to be traded. Like, that's why he requested a trade. He doesn't want to be here. The problem is, and I I don't know this to be a fact, but I would imagine the conversation between Doug Armstrong and Vladdy's agent was, look, we'll get you a trade, but we're only going to get you a trade if you play better. So if he goes out there and tears it up this year and everyone's like, oh, Vladdy needs to stay because he's going to make you a better team, it doesn't matter. Vladdy wants to be traded. Maybe you get a better return, and you can still be a cup contender with whatever you get back for Vladdy. But I don't think it matters. I think he's going to want to be traded regardless. Might just pique his interest in terms of I need to be traded to another team that's got a cup contender rather than this team. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of where I'm at as well. It might change what you can get for him, and it might change what you're able to do to help your team win long term. Um, but I don't think it changes the need and the importance of trading Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah. I think the other thing that it does, the most important thing, honestly, that it does it allows you to remove more of that salary from your books. Yeah. If Vladdy has a career year this year and you locked that in and he finishes with 35 goals and he looks like one of he, – he's a legit all-star. Yeah. I think what that does is next year, instead of having to eat half of that $7.5 million contract, Correct. now the other team takes on that full $7.5 million. And going into 2022, the Blues have much more cap room to be able to work with. Now the Matthew Kachuk conversations that we had so much talk about this offseason, those become even more legitimate. So that that would be the biggest thing that you get out of something like that. But I, I would anticipate that the Blues would still have to trade him, yeah. uh, even if he does have a borderline career year or something resembling that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Joey Vitale joins us coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Let's ask him this. If he could lock in one career year from any Blues player, who would it be? We'll ask Joey coming up in about 15 minutes or so but coming up next I've got three players that I looked into last night Alex that I think could be really interesting for the Cardinals next year to improve their depth in their lineup can I interest you in any of these guys we'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN we're back to more exclusive blues talk 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops cabinets and flooring With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. I've got three players that I want to ask you about. Let's play a game of, God, here can comes, I interest you here in? Here comes J.D. Martinez again. We get it, BK. He's not 45. I know. Um, this is actually going on the the lower end of the market. <gasps> I love bargain bin shopping. I'm talking about guys that could be... Nice utility infielders Scoops for you. Potatoes. Fourth outfielders, left-handed bats on the bench. Give Somebody that me. could start for you in a pinch. Those types of players. 
scoopsy potato. Let's, Let's start it. with option number one. Behind door number one. We've got Matt Duffy. Okay. Matt Duffy is a 31-year-old who can play all over the diamond. He played games this year at second base, third base, shortstop, left field. He's a career 375 hitter coming off of the bench. He hit 290 against right-handed pitching so far in his career. He is a right-handed hitter, so you wouldn't expect him to be a guy that hits righties well, but he has so far in his career. In just this season for the Chicago Cubs, he finished the year with a 290 batting average. He does not hit for a lot of power, but like I said, he can play all over the diamond. Could I interest you in a Matt Duffy, Alex Ferrario? BK, surprisingly, you have piqued my interest. I'm looking at this guy's numbers. First of all, I didn't even know Matt Duffy was a real player. So <laughs> congrats on that. Um, I thought Matt Duffy was going to be pretty good when he originally came up this, for the, uh, the Giants back in, like, what, 2015, I think? This dude played 132 games in 2018 with Tampa Bay. And T-Bone, he hit 294 for them. Not a, now, he's not a power hitter, and I'm okay no. with that. This is strictly contact and on base, yeah. and I really like that that idea. Um, How is his speed? Do we have a fast guy here? Uh, he's okay. Okay, so he's not he good gives at you, running. Like he, he's not slow. He, he, he'd be fine. That's what they usually say about me, and that means I'm not fast, and I'm not a good runner. So He's not Harrison Bader. He's not Tommy Edmond. He's not Tyler O'Neill. He's probably more of like a Dylan Carlson. You know what? I'm not I'm not going to super swipe like my guy T-Bone probably is, but I'm, I'm interested, but let's see what's behind door two and three. T-Bone, what do you think of Matt? Yeah, I'm interested. I kind of feel like he's kind of your version of Jose Rondo now. The only difference is, is he hits right-handed pitching better. So if that's the uh, case. He just hits better than Jose Rondo. Oh, whoa, whoa. That was not needed. Everybody loves Jose Rondon on this show. Apparently not the texter. I'd rather chew on thumbtacks than get Matt Duffy. Wow. Yikes. Wait, why? I think, I think I would have interest in Matt Duffy because I think he is a little better than Jose Rondon. He could be that right-handed bat off the yeah. bench. So I'll have interest, but I wouldn't super swipe. Dude, I'm with Alex. Let's see what's behind door number two. He was two. a runner-up for rookie of the year with San Francisco. I'm telling you, I thought he was going to be a stud when he first came up for the Giants. Sir or madam, why do you want to chew on thumbtacks instead of sign Matt Duffy? Matt Duffy's a perfectly fine player. He's and, better than Ron Doan. And he signed a one-year deal worth a million dollars last year for the Cubs. Yep. If you could get Matt Duffy on a one-year, yep. three to five million dollar deal to come off of your bench, I think that's the perfect kind of player that I would want for the Cardinals. His OPS plus this season was, or no, I'm sorry, his OPS was 738 this year. His OPS plus was 100. Yeah, he, he's a he's a solid player that has had a lot of success coming off of the bench in his career, and he hits right-handed pitching very well. I'm interested. You got to do really well to uh, improve over Matt Duffy behind doors two and three. All right, could I interest you in a game of let's go bargain bin shopping for the Cardinals? Behind door number two. Could I interest you in a left-handed hitter with a career 290 batting average against right-handed pitching? All right, stop polishing the turd. Give me the name. He is going to be 33 years old next year. There's that turd. He's, he's, a, one, <laughs> he's a one-time All-Star, did so for the Tampa Bay Rays. Randy Rosarena. He, he hit 315 as a pinch hitter last year. He has spent time in left field and as a DH. Corey Dickerson. Could I interest you in Corey Dickerson? This is the former Pirate guy, right, Crook? He he played briefly for the Pirates. He's played for a lot of different teams. Colorado, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Philly, 
Miami, Toronto at the end of last season. He, he's been all over the place, but he is a corner outfielder slash DH type who could potentially be a bench bat for you. Could I interest you in one Corey Dickerson? No, I'm out on this. This is Lars Newbar. That's this is Lars Newbar, and no, I'm fine. I'm I'm sticking with my my guy uh, Nudie Bar. No, Corey Dickerson, no, sir. That was not any better than Matt Duffy. That was a bad one on your part. T-Bone, I'll let you go. I'm not sure that that was a bad one on his part because I've always been a fan of Corey Dickerson's uh, raw well, you power. You like mediocrity. No. Well, <laughs> well, you seem aggressive today. Uh, I I would I would have some interest. I would it, – it'd be like a minor league invite, though, for me, and I don't know if he would take that because – I'm kind of with Alex. I want to see what I have in Lars Newbar, but this guy has much better raw power than Lars Newbar, and he's that left-handed power bat. He can't play defense at all, though. So hopefully, yeah, the DH is coming. He if this is the case. Glove. Yeah, he's not. He's not a good defender. He, how did he win a Marcelo gold glove? Marcelo won a gold true. glove. <laughs> okay, touche, sir. Climbed the wall in a ball that landed 30 feet behind him. Touche, uh, so sir. I would have interest. I'll say, yeah, I'd have interest. Corey Dickerson's the type of player that you would bring in as your Lars Newbar replacement next year. How would you and replace Lars? Because Lars, Lars wasn't very good offensively. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did he not hit home runs? Did he not Listen, have his tongue out every chance he I got? I like Lars Newbar, and he's going to be the first guy that gets called up if there's any opportunities next year. He, he, he's a guy that has a future with this Cardinals organization. He's not even your fourth outfielder this upcoming season? Maybe not. If I can up, if I can upgrade my fourth outfield spot, I would like to do so. No way, because my fourth I outfielder agree. needs to be really good defensively and Lars Newbar was really good defensively. You don't have to do double switches next year. Totally changes the complexion of the I'm way I'm not worried you, about the double switches. I'm worried about days that guys need off. If yeah. a guy needs a night off, I don't want to put Kyle Schwarber in right field. I want to put Laird, uh, Lars Newbar in right field. If that's the I, case, then maybe you bring in a four, another you like a Duffy and you can put Edmund in the outfield yeah. on that day off. Absolutely. I'd rather do that. I'm closing door number two. Move on. So the nice thing about guys like Corey Dickerson and Duffy, you could get both. Why not both? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's not yeah. how the doors work. You only can select one. Uh, this bench could use a couple of these guys. All right. Door number three. Could I interest you in? I think Tanner's going to super swipe on this one because oh, I've heard boy. him bring up the name before. Oh, boy. Let me get the sounder ready. A left-handed hitter that had a 295 batting average last year against right-handed pitching. He did struggle in pinch hit opportunities. Oh, he, he came good. up for 16 at-bats, had just a 125 on-base percentage. Yeah, why would the Cardinals need that? Josh Reddick. Josh Reddick. Oh, He's know. a Have cheater. He uses trash cans. Josh Reddick is a 295 hitter against right-handed pitching. Now, he has been hurt. He, he got hurt a lot this year and didn't play a whole lot. He's 35 years old. He has had some struggles over the last couple of years with injuries, and he has not been quite the same hitter. You can't put him out there against left-handed pitching. You can't do it oh, exclusively against right-handed pitching, which is fine because you see 70% of the time a right-handed pitcher. He'd be super cheap. He is older. Alex Tanner, could I interest you in Josh Reddick as a fourth outfielder next no. year? I don't need a 35-year-old who can't stay healthy and can only hit in certain situations and uses trash cans to win games. I'm out on this. I'm with you. I'm out on him, too. I, He's he, worse he than Corey stay Dickerson. Healthy and I, we saw him when he was with Arizona when they came to town. Yeah. He didn't look good at the plate, so I'm out. I, no interest. Yeah, they stopped using him halfway through their season. Now, I know he they was injured, him. but like, yeah, you, you stopped using him because he was so bad. Can I give you a fourth one? No, there's only three doors, PK. BK. I'll I know, take a fourth is, door. This is option number four. This is the other one that I know Tanner's going to be interested in. I thought you said Tanner's going to yeah. super swipe on Reddick. I, I thought he was, but apparently he decided after last offseason he's no longer interested. That's fair of me to say. How about... Sorry to change our minds. Cole Calhoun. 
a left-handed oh. hitting outfielder. Gross, T-Bone. 275 batting average last year against right-handed pitching. Again, has dealt with some injuries, and he's a 34-year-old outfielder. Why Why you keep going here, man? Because they're cheap. This is the this is the market that we're shopping in man, right now. Matt Duffy should have been door number three. <laughs> I got worse with Reddick. Better, yeah, huh? you should have started with okay. Reddick. That's on me. Damn. Cole Calhoun. No. Can I interest you in Cole Hal- Calhoun this offseason? No. Why do I want a fourth outfielder who can't play because he's hurt? If that's the case, give me J.D. Martinez. At least I know he's going to well, hit the ball. this is the upside play. You're probably paying him a million bucks, and if he gets hurt, you DFA him, and you end up going with Lars Ar- Newbar. I'd, I'd, I'd rather just start with Lars Newbar and have his energy high because he made the team out of camp. Boys. Super swipe! How are you super swiping on this? He is literally the same player as J.J. Reddick. No, this guy has power. In 2020, when he was so healthy, in 2020, he was healthy with Arizona, hit 16 freaking home runs in a 60-game season, and only it played 54 of the 60. He has raw power. He could be that fourth outfielder that could play in right field every now and then. Good left-handed power hitting option off the bench. I know he was hurt this year, but he hit 33 home runs two years ago. This was really the first year that he's dealt with injuries. You know what I did two years ago, Tanner? What? A lot of things that I can't do today. I probably could have jumped through a table two years ago and not been in pain. I saw your performance. No, you couldn't have. Uh, So I I would bring in Cole Calhoun. Now, he does have an option that has to be declined, which I think it will be by Arizona. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I expe- I would love to see the Cardinals give him a try because, like I said, raw left-handed power. Him or Corey Dickerson, to me, they're kind of the same player. Cole Calhoun, to me, I would rather have over a Corey Dickerson. If I told you you could get two of these guys this offseason, because I think they could. Matt Duffy, Corey Dickerson, Josh Reddick, Cole Calhoun. If you were going for the bench bats, and that's that's the roles that these guys would be in. They would not be expected to be starters. You could still go out there and get pitching. You could go out there and get a big-time bat. Th- these are not in replacement of that. These are in addition to, because these guys are going to cost you less than $5 million on a one-year deal. Duffy, Dickerson, Reddick, Calhoun, you get two of them. Who would you like to see them add, Alex? I guess I would go Duffy, obvious, and Calhoun, the second one. I don't like the Calhoun one, but if I have to have two, he would be the one I'd go for because at least I'm getting some power possibilities there if he stays healthy. But Duffy would be the obvious number one for me. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Duffy's my number one. Calhoun would be my two. And you get kind of the mixed bag of some average and power as well. I think we're all in on Duffy. Matt Duffy is this Way year's Way to go, version. BJ. Uh, the, I was on uh, this is Scoop. Josh Harrison at the midseason acquisition for the trade deadline. Yeah. I thought he made a ton of sense. That's my Matt Duffy this offseason. This is my By Jonathan way, Scoop. Josh Harrison's still available, so if they want to go that route, that's perfectly fine, but we've talked enough about him. Matt Duffy is my number one option. I would go Corey Dickerson as my number two. I think Corey Dickerson could be a really good addition for this Cardinals team. A veteran presence who could potentially help in the clubhouse. I, I think Dickerson is the exact type of player that this team could use next year. Very good in his career as a pinch hitter. I like the idea of Corey Dickerson. So Duffy and Dickerson would be my two picks that I would be of interest in. Could we clone Duffy? Go yeah. Duffy and Duffy? I mean, Duffy is kind of an older version of Tommy Edmond. It's kind of what you're getting out of him. So I, I, I love the idea of bringing him in as a as competition as, and as a guy who just helps your bench a ton. So he'd be one of the guys that I'm very interested in this offseason. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. If he could lock in one breakout player for the Blues this year, who would he go with? We'll ask him next on 101 ESPN. We're talking Blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. 
with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We're almost 48 hours away from the Blues starting out their season in Colorado, and That's we are right math. now. Well, it's more like 60, but we're, we're getting there. Uh, we're, we are very close to the start of the blue season, and right now we're very happy to be joined by Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. He's Joey Vitale joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joey, how you doing today, my man? Doing well, boys. Doing well. How are you guys today? Uh, doing excellent. Alex, did, did we not get a Joey, Joey, Joey? Oh, yeah, I missed Joey. it. Can we, can we try it again? Yeah, Joey Vitale joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joey, 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 Joey. There we go. That's better. That's better, boys. That's better. Gotta clean that up. I felt like we needed to get <laughs> that, that intro for you. Joey, we were talking earlier today, and it's a hypothetical scenario that doesn't much matter, but hey, welcome to the early uh, hockey season. If you could pick any Blues player to have a career year this year, you could lock it in right now, and it's a guarantee that that player goes on to have a career year this year, not name Jordan Bennington because, of course, the goalie would be the obvious choice here. Who would you pick for this Blues team? Now, when you say career year, looking back over his entire career, like 20 years from now, this was his best year, or career year as in this will be his best year to this point in his career? I'll let you take this however you want, Joey. Okay, uh, I tell you what. Then I think I think I'll go with Robert Thomas. Uh, I don't think this is going to be his best year of his entire career, if that makes sense. I think he's gonna, just going to keep getting better, but I think he's going to have an explosion of a year uh, to this point where he's just going to maybe even double in points. Um, and, and again, I, I mentioned this before. I just I, I love this idea of him having a um, bit of a sophomore slump and then an injury plagued year, and then after winning the cup, I think it's been a kind of a uh, uh, bit of humility for him in the last couple seasons in, in, in a really healthy way. And then it's kind of given him a little step back this past off season where he's kind of looked at his game and kind of from a broader sense and really had a lot of time off to think about it and, and train for it. His body's in a great spot. I think his mind's in a great spot um, to really have a, a good rebound year to get back to the type of player he was this first year with the St. Louis blues and the type of player, quite frankly, that the St. Louis blues need him to be. And, and that on top of the fact that, listen, you can't do it alone. He's just going to have a great surrounding cast around him. You know, I think that this this line of James Neal and Vladimir Tarasenko, I think this is going to stick for a little while until Craig Berube has to make it a decision to shift. But for now, he he is um, on a line with two of potentially maybe the best scorers still in this conference, or at least this division. So I like the fact that he's he's mentally and physically in, in the spot he needs to be, and he's got a great supporting cast and some goal scorers to his left and to his right this year. Joey, is it outlandish to think that Robert Thomas could get to 50 assists this season? I don't think so. No, I, I do not think so. Uh, c- could he could he get become a point per game player this year? I, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe not quite this year, but you never know. I, I think that he definitely can get to that 70 point plateau, though. You know, with 50 and being assists, maybe he does get a, a, a cup 20 uh, tap-ins um, to help things out. But I think it's very realistic because again, I, I look at the caliber of shooting on both his sides. I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko, we saw in that Blackhawks game, his ability to still release the puck is there. James Neal, I think, was the most consistent offensive threatening player in the preseason, and this is a kid with uh, fire in his belly. He's hungry. He wants to prove the rest of the league wrong, especially Edmonton, the team that bought him out, that they made a major mistake. So I think that the hunger from his wingers is there. I think the eliteness is there. I think Vladdy is going to be extremely hungry as well. I think he's got a lot of proof for himself personally for this team and maybe possibly for the rest of the league to give him another look. So I just think there's just going to be too much weapons and too much energy on that line for Robert to not have a good year. Joey, when you look at the team and what they're going to look like on Saturday, 
how much different do you expect the Blues to look in January compared to the way that the, that we see them early on in this season? Oof, I mean, that that's that, that's a tough question. I guess so so much can happen between now and January, especially with pieces being moved. Um, you know, one thing one thing I think that we're going to see maybe this year more than more than the years in the past. I almost look at it like a crescendo, like an escalation of their game getting to getting to a peak around January, February time. You know, uh, instead of maybe just all out, just playing that brawl style hockey from the get go. I think Craig Berube, I think he tried to do that for the last couple of seasons. I think it worked in spurts. And what I mean by that is, you know, he wants his team to play a certain way. He wants them to forecheck and be physical and be in your face. And uh, But the problem with that is it, it, it's taxing. It's taxing your body. It's taxing your mind. Uh, it's taxing your spirit. I mean, I've been in those locker rooms. I've been a part of these teams where this is what the coach demands out of you. And, and come playoff time, absolutely, you find it. Come March when you're you know pushing for a playoff spot, you have it. No question about it. To start of the year, you have it, right? They're, they're going to come out all, all guns a-blazing come Saturday night, and it's going to be a great first road trip. I, I truly believe that. But there are those November blues. There are certainly those February blues, you know, and maybe even around the holidays a little bit where you just have this drop in energy. So I think Craig Berube has learned a lot about his style, the way things have worked his first year and the second and third year. Uh, but I look at that 2019 team, the way they started out dreadfully slow, like you don't want to start out that slow, but you can't start out necessarily how you started out in the last couple seasons where maybe you came out just coming out all, all just firing away, right? So I think there's got to be some sort of like uh, escalation where, where they're, they're playing a certain way and maybe you got to kind of temper it in a lot of different ways. And I expect, you know, to answer your question in January, I expect this like onslaught of just, just blues hockey, like what we see. Maybe, maybe we won't see it in spurts, you know, come November, and, that, and that's okay because I think it is such a long season. You kind of have to temper it to some degree or you can't be wasting all your energy in the first half of the year. Joey, you've been a part of these team bonding trips in the past, whether it's been a broadcaster or a player. How beneficial is it to be able to have five, six days of practice but no games to where you can just be with your teammates? Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's the practice side of it, which is great, you know, because they're going to have they have five days there where they're just nothing but focused on the systems. So really, there's no excuse why Saturday night Brandon Saad should be out of position. There's no excuse, you know, on Saturday night why maybe Buchnevich or James Neal may miss an assignment on the power play. So you kind of clean up all those details. Number one, so that's really important. You get into a good flow. You're snapping passes. You're getting into a good rhythm with each other. You're communicating on the ice, you know, from a line standpoint, look at that Robert Thomas, James Dillon, Tarasenko one. There's a lot of communication. It's starting to kind of figure each other out. You're around each other more. So that, from a hockey standpoint, is very, very productive. I think the argument maybe that there's, it's more productive off the ice and the relationships that are being built and the kind of chemistry you're going to start seeing. You know, a lot of time's been spent out in Vail for these guys. You know, the road trips, I think they've tried to golf. I think the snow's kind of prevented that at times. They've gone to the bowling side, stuff indoors. So a lot of really just things that just just get uh, familiar with each other. But then there's also this other aspect of you're kind of getting away from you're kind of being pulled away from from your old life, which you know not not that that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but a lot of guys with with kids and wives and and yes they don't really pulled from their families, but at the same time that's kind of necessary. You kind of you kind of need that to start the year because it's been a long off season. You're kind of in dad mode. You're in husband mode so much. Well, we're kind of pulling you into the desert now. You're kind, we're kind of getting pulled into the desert with all your troops. And you're saying, you know, this is this is the year now. We're starting off, and you're kind of getting in that rhythm. I think my third year, we went to West Point with the Penguins, and it was just such a such a wonderful experience, not only to be with each other, but then to, to see the the Army and the Army Reserves and the lieutenants and the generals and speaking to all these just beautiful minds and just being on that campus up in New York was 
it was truly something special. We had a lot of, there's a lot of things that are being done, I think in Vail um, that we don't hear about or know about necessarily, but maybe at the end of the year, looking back, we'll realize, Oh, this was the tradition they started in Vail. You know, I know that, that medal, uh, the year they won the cup, that was a big deal for Mike Yo when they slapped that medal on, on the board and they, they tapped it every time. So things like that are happening. Um, the, the culture is being established. They're coming up with sayings. They're coming up with, basically their mission statement of what they're going to be this year. And everyone's kind of got that buy-in process. They're getting together, they're having the drinks and the dinner. So it's just all around. It's a very, very necessary thing I think to do. And that's just one of the bonuses of them starting on the road. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN for just another couple of minutes. Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, final question that I've got for you. Last night we did see uh, the the Colorado Avalanche take on the Chicago Blackhawks, the first game that I've seen from the Central Division so far this year. Did you have any takeaways from from that first appearance by the Avs, the, the team that the Blues will be playing on Saturday night? You know, yeah, everything would look pretty much the same. Uh, I thought at least what I expected for Colorado, except one thing, I think they're just, they, they seem way more physical than I kind of expected. And I don't know why I didn't expect that because throughout the playoff stretch last year, they had, they had spurts of being very, very physical. But the thing that strikes me about Colorado is you look at them on paper, you look at them up front, you just see talent, 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 speed, speed, speed. You see the Gerards, you see the Kale McCars, D that can jump up, the Nathan McKinnons that can just stifle you and just put you behind the game in such a hurry. Uh, they got the great goaltending now. Uh, they're very well coached with Bednar. So he, he's got a great philosophy that they're all buying into. Uh, great leadership now with Gabriel Lanskog we're signing there. So all those things kind of stand out initially, but you kind of forget uh, the physicality side of, of kind of things. You know, you lose the door off, you lose Ian Cole, you lose Johnson, you lose some of these bigger back-end guys who were used to be so physical, but but this is still a very physical hockey team. And they take a lot of pride in playing physical. I mean, Nazem Kadri is probably one of the, the guys in the league that will play physical and kind of get under your skin, uh, kind of Steve Ott style. There's not a ton of players like that left in this league. So from a physicality standpoint, that, that to me is what really jumped out. I mean, even Gabriel Landeskog's hit, I believe it was on um, uh, Kirby Dock. That I think it could be suspend- suspendable. We will see if Gabriel Landeskog will be in, in the lineup on Saturday. But even that hit alone, I mean, you can just see that there was some fire and there was some energy behind Colorado. They're not just a skillful team. They're going to be physical. And to me, that's the number one reason why, when you look at the full package of this team, why it's going to be the biggest, it's going to be the biggest hiccup for the Blues this year. It's probably going to be the biggest hiccup for every team they play because Colorado is just incredibly deep and they can beat you in so many different ways. And so that, to me, is some of the things that really stand out about that team. Can't wait to hear you and Chris Kerber on the call Saturday night, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Good to have you back on the calls for this Blues regular season. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. Thanks, fellas. You guys have a great week. Thanks, Joe. That's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Hey, join 101 ESPN for a Blues season preview tomorrow at Copper Fire in Belleville. Blues kick off the regular season on Saturday, and to celebrate, we're hosting a day-long live broadcast out of Copper Fire. Come hang out with me, Alex, and Tanner from 11 to 2. The Fastlane will be there from 2 to 6. The Last Minute Blues podcast from 6 to 7 o'clock. Special guest, appetizer specials, specialty drinks, Blues giveaways every hour between 11 and 7. It's the Blues season preview party tomorrow at Copper Fire in Belleville. Get all the details right now over at 101ESPN.com. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what can the Cardinals learn from what the teams that are still playing in the postseason did last year in the offseason? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so, but the junk drawer is coming up next. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario.
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So I think I've got our next punishment, boys. I think I found one. Well, it can't get worse than jumping through a table. Can we oh, talk boy. about that for a second first? What? Your attempts to jump through a table? What do you mean attempt? It was fantastic. I mean, the table the did time. beat you two to one. Yes, it did. And it beat me. It, it had lasting effects. I can't turn to my right as of today. So for anybody that hasn't seen this yet, over on Twitter at 101 ESPN, we did tweet it out. It's a video of Alex, again, attempting to join Bill's Mafia. Bill's fans do this every Sunday, Alex. Every Sunday they succeed in doing so. Woof. Jumping through a foldable table. Yeah. Now, Alex's attempt was not quite as successful as what you see from Bill's fans Truth. on your typical Sunday. I'm watching it again right now. Alex hits the table and literally bounces yeah. off of there the table. No damn give on that table. What happened, man? Man, I, part of me wonders if it was because the ladder wasn't tall enough. Like maybe it needed a taller ladder to jump through. I've seen Bill's Mafia have some pretty tall ladders. Uh, but I really feel like it was the table. That was one sturdy-ass table. And I asked Katie about it as I borrowed her table, the, what she uses for weddings. And she's like, yeah, that thing's about as, like, thick as they come. And she's like, it was a $20 table from Walmart. But, like, that's how all of those tables are, right? They break in the middle. So I don't know how Bill's Mafia does it. Maybe I hit the wrong spot of that table. I don't know, but that damn thing did not give the first time. I bounced off of it like a trampoline. I've never seen anything quite like it. It's a remarkable feat. It hurt. It really so, hurt. Like, I, I would get shot because that's the. I still have one more punishment to deal with, and I'm going to get shot by a paintball gun on Monday. But, like, I'd rather get shot five times by a paintball gun than have to jump through a damn table again. And I know when I said in the video, or we said in the video, that that wasn't, it was my decision. It was really the text line's decision. That was the punishment that they threw out there. And I was like, man, that sounds okay. Yeah, I regret that decision. Mightily. Yeah, well... I can't even turn to wipe, dude. It hurts. <laughs> Your first issue was this. You brought in the table that was maybe three feet wide. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't want to have to go drop $50 to break a damn table. Although, it would have been hilarious to I try... I dropped and, 50 bucks to wear yeah, a but, nonsensical outfit. But I don't know what you and Kara enjoy in the evenings. <laughs> okay. Maybe you like dressing up like a little German boy. I'm not sure. There but. You but but for me, I mean, it would have been pretty funny for me to try and return a broken table to Walmart and been like, hey, this doesn't this doesn't work. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to drop $50. And Katie had one, and she's been complaining about not, like, the table just not working. Like, she needs a bigger one. Oh, that makes sense. And now so I, I can see why. why. <laughs> well, now I know why she needed a bigger one. And so I told her, I said, well, let me go use this for our video, and then you just go buy a new one. In and certain things in life, this is a good motto for you, Alex. Size does indeed matter. And yes, on yes, the table does. that you <laughs> used yesterday, size did You'll matter. Hear it, T-Bone. Yes, it um, did. As for our next punishment. Yeah, because T-Bone's getting this next punishment. So there's a report on uh, on Yahoo News this morning that I woke up to. Woman walks through Denver airport asking pa- asking pa- passengers. Well, that could be part of the story. <laughs> wow. Asking passengers, <laughs> where are you from and what do you do? Who is your daddy and what does he do? She did so while completely naked. Oh, yeah. Tanner, you're totally doing this. This should that. be Tanner's next yeah. punishment. We should send him to Lambert Airport 
He's got to get through security, strip down into the nude. Maybe we allow him to just go straight under. Whitey tidies. Yeah, because you know he's a whitey tidy guy. Walking around asking people, where are you from and where are you going? And just recording the responses to said situation. I would thoroughly enjoy, well, I wouldn't enjoy seeing that because, frankly, that was a site that I don't think I'd ever be able to get rid of. But um, I would like to see Tanner get arrested, and I think he would be arrested if he did that. It may surprise you, but this woman was slightly intoxicated. Why, why oh, so we got to get so. T-Bone intoxicated then. That okay, well, that's problem fine. With, but I don't understand why we want to send me to jail. Yeah, I'd like to see how you. I don't how think you you'd last. go to jail. You'd just get in a little trouble. Maybe not be ever able to go to I don't a have, school again. <laughs> or Chuck E. Cheese. I don't have the body to go to jail. Well, <laughs> with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, our podcast I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into some quick hitters heading into the NFL weekend. Big night, big game tonight. But coming up next. There are now five teams remaining in the postseason for baseball. What can the Cardinals learn for this offseason that those teams did last offseason to get them to where they are now? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to more exclusive Blues Talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and ENB Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. I'm a nerd. I am. Well, I'm a nerd. I'm a dweeb. I'm a dork. Any of already. the adjectives that you want to use to describe me, they all apply. So last night I spent my night looking up what the teams that are still remaining in the MLB postseason did last year to get them to where they are right now. Spent way too much time on this, and the result was this. Man, the Cardinals don't need to go out there and sign a $25 million player. Oh, yeah, you are, you are a nerd. The teams that are still remaining, so the Red Sox, I went back and their offseason was maybe the most interesting to me because their projections coming into the year were not that they would be here right now. They were projected to win between 80 and 85 games, depending on where you looked. And there was good reason for that. They just traded away their best player two years ago in Mookie Betts. There was questions about their starting pitchers coming into the season, and their lineup just looked okay. It looked pretty good. They had some stalwarts, but the depth was really in question for them. And so last offseason, they signed Kike Hernandez, pretty good player, two-year, $14 million deal. He's more in line with some of the guys that we talked about earlier today than he is a Trevor Story or a Corey Seager or anything like that. They signed Garrett Richards, who's been a pretty good pitcher for him. Martin Perez, $5 million. Hunter Renfro, $3 million. Um, they traded for Adam Adovino, who's, who's been helpful for them. And the big thing is they took Garrett Whitlock in the Rule 5 draft. And he's been a huge piece for that bullpen. He's been closing games for them of late. So they ended up going into last offseason, and they took the approach that we've been talking a lot about lately, where it's, hey, let's just add a ton of depth to this thing, and let's see if we can win that way. Because we had gone the Stars and Scrubs uh, attempt over recent years, and it didn't go... There were times when it went great, but then the following year they would completely fall apart. Now they're going with the deeper approach. I think that's the type of formula the Cardinals could follow this offseason. And the same was true to some degree for the Braves and the Astros. The Dodgers are playing a different sport than everybody, so throw them out. But the Giants certainly were the model of that depth approach. When I looked back at some of these offseasons, Alex, and, and I, I wonder how does this apply to the Cardinals, it makes me even more firm in the, 
you know what? Maybe it does make more sense for the Cardinals to stay below that $20 million threshold this offseason and just add, instead of adding quantity or quality in any one player, add a lot of quality or quantity, rather, in, in a lot of players. Yeah, but, you know, the problem is, like, in, in the Red Sox are a perfect explanation of that, but, like, they have guys who are borderline superstar potential, right? Like, I don't know if the Cardinals have a Rafael Devers when it comes to big-time moments. I mean, the last game for them, he went three for four and had three RBIs. Like, maybe Tyler O'Neill gets to that level, but we're more talking about what he just did in the one-game wild card where he was unable to uh, come through at the big moment. J.D. Martinez, kind of clutch for them in the DH role. Don't know if Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado are able to do that on the big stage yet. We haven't seen that. Alex Verdugo, Kike Hernandez, Xander Bogarts. Like, I look at their, and, and Kyle Schwarber is another one. I look at their everyday starting lineup, and I'm sitting here going, you'd take their lineup over the Cardinals head-to-head? Because I, I, I think I would take the Cardinals. Now, I know that the, the postseason numbers are different, but I wonder if you put the Cardinals in their situation, the Red Sox situation, yeah. and give them their opponents as opposed to who they ended up having to play in the Dodgers, I, I think that the the numbers look very different comparing them head-to-head. Yeah, I mean, if you go big three, like the big three for the Cardinals, we all know, we've talked about. It's Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Tyler O'Neill. but the big three for Boston, I mean, you can put four or five guys into that conversation because J.D. Martinez has been that, Kyle Schorver was that, Xander Bogarts was that. Uh, Rafael Devers was that, and frankly, Alex Verdugo has been that for them. See what I'm saying? Like they have guys one through eight that seem to always come through in big scenarios. I think if we were if we were in Boston doing a show about the Cardinals and the roles were reversed right now, I think some of the things that we think about a guy like uh, Xander Bogarts, for example, and maybe he's not the right example, but maybe it's more of um, the Alex Verdugo example, like we'd be talking about Dylan Carlson in a similar way to the way that you're talking right now about Alex Verdugo. The numbers aren't all that dissimilar is what I'm saying. Yeah. I I think that the lineups are at least comparable. I I don't think they're all that dissimilar. I think where the depth comes into the conversation is the bullpen and pitching with, with Boston. Like, I don't know if I could tell you more than three guys that are pitchers for the Boston Red Sox. And maybe that's because I don't keep an eye on them as close because they're in the American League like we do the Cardinals. But that's where the depth, I feel like, has come in big because they have been able to pull the plug on a guy as soon as he looks bad, and you get him out of there and you put somebody else in, whereas the Cardinals, they might still struggle with that. As soon as you pull somebody out, you're looking at it like, okay, well, this guy makes me a little nervous. I I think that's fair. I, I think one of the pieces, though, that makes the lineups different is Kyle Schwarber. And like he would be a part of the type of offseason that I'm talking about. If you go with the if you're going with numbers as opposed to any one player that's a big offseason acquisition, Seeger, Correa, Story, any of yeah. those guys, if you're going with multiple pieces that could help your lineup and extend things for you offensively, a guy like um Kyle Schwarber is the exact type of player that I'm talking about, where if you can get him on an under market value deal, 10 to $15 million instead of paying 25 for anybody. Well, now you can extend the depth and Schwarber's kind of the difference. If you're looking at the Cardinals lineup compared to the Red Sox, maybe you do think the Red Sox are a little better offensively. That's fair. I could totally listen to the argument, but if you swapped uh, Schwarber from the Red Sox to the Cardinals, now I think that completely shifts the balance of power into the Cardinals favor. And so that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking at. 
And if you added Schwarber and you go out and we talked earlier today about a few guys and like Matt Duffy, Dickerson, um, players like that that could be of interest to the Cardinals and they add a couple of those pieces and you've got Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes and Lars Newtbar as depth both in the trip in, in the minors and then if you end up having guys get hurt, they could come up to the majors. I think that is the route that I'm kind of starting to lean towards. This is not me saying I don't want the Cardinals to go sign Trevor Story. If they could get him on a good deal, by all means, go for it. But I'm starting to lean more towards the depth route as opposed to any one big-time player. Yeah, but you're leaning towards that depth route with one caveat, and that's Kyle Schwarber. Like, Kyle Schwarber's the big bat, and that's that's where I've been this whole time. Like, you have to have that big-time bat and then add depth to it. If you don't get Schwarber and you don't get one of the shortstops and all you do is Matt Duffy... I think you look at that as an unsuccessful offseason. Oh, sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can't just get the $1 to $3 million players and call it a day. And that's where the Cardinals just aren't at yet. Like, they're not at the add depth. I mean, the Red Sox went the offseason of adding depth, and then look what they had to do with the trade deadline. Go get Kyle Schorber. I think you have to address that need first before you can sit there and say this was a successful offseason. I just think there's tiers to the, to the uh, pieces that you could get in the offseason. The top tier this offseason is the shortstop market. That It's like four deep. It's Simeon, it's Seager, it's Correa, and it's Story. Those are the guys that are at the top of the market this You wouldn't put Castellanos as the first tier? I think he's in the second tier. Tanner, tell me if you disagree with this, but I think those guys are going to get, like, based on what's been reported, it seems like all of them are going to get at least $25 million per year. Because of the deficiencies defensively with a guy like Castellanos, I'd be a little surprised if he got that same type of money. And I think it's going to be a shorter-term deal for him. I think Castellanos is in that first tier because there's going to be a DH everywhere. And okay. I think that benefits him. You don't have to worry about his defense because you can you put him at DH. You think he could get like 5 and 125? Yeah. I think he could. I mean, he's one After of the best. year. After this year, he looked like one of the best hitters in the sport. And I, if you told me I could go get that guy and he could make a difference for my team and it cost me 5, 125, I would do it. Okay, then let's go ahead and add him up there as well. That's the tier that I'm talking about that I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's just not the best route for the Cardinals to go. I'm talking more in the second tier. So I think Kyle Schwarber might be the headliner for that tier. He might be the top of it where it's maybe there is even a team that looks at Schwarber and they say, you know what, that's our answer. first tier, especially his postseason success. Sure, and that that helps him. And maybe that ends up taking him out of that market. But there's going to be others that are in there. And maybe it's a J.D. Martinez or a Nelson Cruz or whoever your favorite of that that below that top market guy. Maybe that's the big bat that you add. And then you start going into tier three and four of the market as well to continue adding depth. And also you shop in tiers two or three of the relief slash starters markets as well. And now you're able to add four or five pieces in the offseason that can continue to help uh, with the talent level of your team, and you're not immediately counting upon those younger players that are coming from AAA to contribute. Later on in the season, they could they can add to your depth as well when you deal with some injuries, but you're not counting on them going into spring training to be your DH, to be your left-handed bat off of the bench. You're able to get those guys as, as major leaguers that have done it and you can see it on the back of their baseball See, my cards. concern would be the drop-off from that top of the Tier 2, if that's Kyle Schorber, the drop-off would be significantly different. Because I know you said J.D. Martinez and Nelson Cruz, and I know everyone is fascinated with those guys. You just don't know how they would play out here in St. Louis. But after those names, I mean, who's in that Tier 2 that gets you excited? 
I mean, I'd have to look up what yeah. the rest of the market looks like. I, I don't right. have all of the names but, on the top of my head. But where I'm going with that is I don't know if, if that Tier 2 makes sense for the Cardinals. And maybe like a Jock Peterson does for some people. But for me, I just feel like you're missing an everyday threat in your lineup rather than a guy that works against splits. And that's where I kind of fall into the category of I think you have to shop in that Tier 1, Tier 2 to address the offensive woes because beyond that, if you just go for depth, I don't know if that matches what your need is this offseason. So, like, Eduardo Escobar would be in that second tier. Eduardo Escobar is a good player. Yeah, but look, I mean, he wasn't that successful in the playoffs. I, I know, but we get we get we saw fall so in love with these playoff numbers. It's such a small sample size, man. I'm not signing or so not hard signing to hit a player in the playoffs. I, I just but wouldn't I, you like to sign a guy who has shown to be able to do it. On a consistent basis in the postseason? Yeah, but who are we talking about? Kyle Schwarber, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa. So there's three guys, and if Schwarber's going to get paid for that, am I going to pay $20 million a year for it? Probably not. Am I going to end up going to pay $30 million per year for Seager and Correa? I think the answer for the Cardinals is probably going to be no. So if you can't get those guys, and we're looking at this second tier of free agent, if it means that I've got Eduardo Escobar, who has been objectively a very good player in his career and had a rough, what, three games for, for the Brewers? Like, I'm not going to decide not to sign him because of that. Yeah, but what's the benefit of getting one of those guys and them not panning out for you? But the, in the three-game playoff, I mean, he's going against the best of the best. We can't, you can't, it's hard to grade anybody on that because that's basically like saying he ran into a three-game stretch where he just had a three-game struggle against the Dodgers in a regular season. You don't grade a guy based on that. You grade him based on a full 162. And if you want to look at the playoffs, then I understand it. But to me, the playoffs are such a crapshoot because nobody hits. We just went through the numbers in our first segment. Nobody's hitting in the playoffs because you're seeing the best of the best at the highest stage in terms of pitching. Here's how I would say it, Alex. Is like, So you've got $30 million that you can spend this offseason. Are you doing it? Or are you giving that to... Corey Seager slash Carlos Correa, whoever your top-end guy is that you're talking about, that's had postseason success, plays a premium position, clearly upgrades you offensively, and helps you sustain what you've already built defensively. You can go that route, and that's, that's option A. You get one of those guys. Or an option B, you get Eduardo Escobar. You get two relievers. You get one of those bench bats that I talked about earlier today, and you get a back end of your rotation starter all for the same amount of money that you just spent on only that top-end shortstop that you were talking about. I think I would rather have option B. And the reason why is because not only are you, I don't think you're significantly worse next year because of option B. I also think it allows you more flexibility moving forward, both with your internal players that still need to get contract extensions moving forward. And if any of those guys don't work out, you can easily, whether it be at the trade market next year or in the offseason next year, go sign somebody else that plays those positions. And you can just continuously cycle through those guys as opposed to the players that you're talking about. They're getting 10-year deals. And so next year, the flexibility that you have right now, it is not there again next season. What you're locking yourself into is like an NBA team that has a big three where you've decided this is our core, we're going for it, this is what we're going with moving forward. And I'm not saying necessarily that it's a bad idea. I think both options could work. You very well may end up being right that the, the $30 million player is the better option. For me, with my sensibilities and given what I've seen from some of these postseason teams, I think given their current financial situation, I would rather go with option B where you get four, maybe even five players for the same price that you would get your one. I'm, uh, I'm going option A because I want, I want the 
I want the safety net of knowing that this guy is a performer all season long, and I would rather see what my internal development looks like for those other options that I'm going to sign that are basically blocking the way of a Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Matthew Libator, Johan Oviedo. I'm going to let those guys be my depth pieces because I trust my development, and I'm going to go sign the one piece that makes me a surefire contender in a World Series push. I'm with you 100%. I, I think you go for it's. You don't get the chance to get an elite bat that often. And if you have to spend 30, 20 to $30 million to do so, I think you do it. I think what this season showed from the Cardinals and from the Braves is that you can find depth in the middle of a season. I think you can go with that kind of motto. You can't find an elite bat that very that often in the middle of a season. It's very hard to find one of those. And if you do, you have to pay a pretty penny for it in terms of prospects and stuff. Here you can keep your prospects. Yeah, $20, 30000000 million. I get it. That's a lot. But... I would rather do that, and then you can maybe add one more piece to that as well. Maybe it is that bullpen arm or another depth piece. I can find depth in the middle of the season, in my opinion. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in this show. I We do have one text that I do want to address. Um, this one comes from the 314. Guys, come on. They don't even have enough room on the 26-man roster for all of these mediocre players and pieces. That's just not true. The Cardinals are going to have a lot of room on their roster going into next year. Matt Carpenter is going to be off of the roster. Jose Rondon, we'll see what happens with Juan Yepes, but I would imagine he'll be added to the 40-man, but probably not the 26. And Lars Newtbar can be sent back down to AAA. So that's four guys that were on the 26-man roster, position player-wise, bench-wise, that are going to be available to you to move off of next year if you wanted to. So you could upgrade the bench significantly. And then when you look at the the roster, when it comes to your pitching side of things, you've got a lot of availability on there as well. Luis Garcia, Jay Happ, KK, John Lester, TJ McFarlane, Justin Miller, Andrew Miller. Um, those are all guys that are potential free agents this offseason and you've got other guys that could be sent down to triple a as well so you've got a ton of flexibility with your roster right now if you wanted to go out there and acquire these other players that potentially upgrade you they, they can do all of these things it's just a matter of whether or not they want to go that route or if they trust their their young guys to be able to uh fill in from within with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley coming up next we're going to dive into some nfl quick hitters including the game that you're most interested in watching this this weekend and What's the upset special this week? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. More Blues Talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Oh, yeah, you know what that song means. It is time for some NFL quick hitters leading into... The next week of the NFL season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario live from the new ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, let's start with this. What's the game you're most interested in watching going into this weekend? It could be tonight, Bucks versus Eagles. Could be on Sunday. What's the game you're most interested in this I weekend? I can tell you, it's not Bucks versus Eagles. What? I know. Sorry, Eagles. You're terrible. Uh, mine's the, the Ravens Chargers. Uh, to me, that's what I thought the Bills-Chiefs game was going to be. Unfortunately, Kansas City wasn't able to put uh, that comp- competition level up. But I'm really intrigued by Chargers-Ravens because Lamar Jackson has been tearing it up these last couple of weeks, proving that not only is he a legit superstar in the league, which that's on me and you for not acknowledging over the last couple of, of weeks, 
but also that the Baltimore Ravens are, are a legit Super Bowl contender. And I think the Chargers are, are trending in that direction as well. Um, you seem to think the Chargers are a dominant force in the AFC. I'm about to find out if they can do that in Baltimore on the road. So that's the one I'm most looking forward to is Chargers-Ravens. I'm most looking forward to the Cardinals and Browns because I, I don't I don't have a good feel on both teams. And I get it. The Cardinals are 5-0, and but I still don't. I'm still not bought in. I'm not bought in on Baker Mayfield and the Browns, so I'm very interested to see if one of these teams can really change my mind on them, especially the Cardinals, because like I said, though they're 5-0, and it feels like they're 4-1 in my opinion. So I think those are the two best games going into this weekend. So I'm going to go ahead and just add a plus one to both of your guys' answers. But to add one more to the mix to be a little different, I think the other game that I'm going to be keeping an eye on is Vikings at Panthers. The Vikings are actually a one-point road favorite, which I think is interesting. That's basically telling you Vegas views them as on a neutral field four points better than the Carolina Panthers. Now, Carolina is going to be without Christian McCaffrey, it sounds like, in this game. So there is that to deal with. I think one of these teams could emerge as a legit playoff contender in the NFC. Not a Super Bowl contender. I'm not saying that. But somebody other than Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Arizona, and L.A. is going to make the postseason in the NFC. Who's going to emerge? It's probably going to be somebody that is right at or around 500. I think both of these teams could fight for that spot. Minnesota, Carolina, I think that's a really intriguing game going into this weekend. Especially if Minnesota is going to have Dalvin Cook, and I haven't seen anything on that. But if he's available and Christian McCaffrey is not, Carolina will not have Stephon Gilmore, as you told me during our commercial break. So Carolina has been exposed these last couple of weeks, and until they can get their defense back to full health, I'm with you. That's going to be an interesting one. Next one up for you guys. What is the upset that you're expecting? If you were going to give an upset special this weekend, what would it be? T-Bone, why don't you start this one? I know we just ripped on the Eagles, but I kind of like the Eagles tonight Get against the hell Tampa out Bay. Of here. I do. The Tampa Bay seven-point favorite. That defense is really beat up. They're dealing with injuries. Hell, like Richard Sherman's their number one cornerback right now. They're they're that beat up defensively. There is no Rob Gronkowski. He was ruled out again tonight. Levante I, David out and Antoine yeah. Winfield Jr. out. It looks like JPP is at least questionable, and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to play in this one. There's a lot of defenders that are out for uh, the Bucks tonight for sure. So I, I kind of feel like there's a chance that Jalen Hurts can make something happen and go on – be able to lead uh, Philadelphia to this win over Tampa Bay tonight. I kind of feel them as my upset special this week. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's worse than saying the Lions are going to beat the Packers. Well, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Tennessee taking on Buffalo. Okay. I think that might expose them. You kind of sold me on this BK, which is a terrible thing for me to say because your picks never go in the direction they should. But I really wonder if Derrick Henry is just going to obliterate that Buffalo front defense. Uh, I mean, their secondary has been really good this season in terms of shutting down the long ball. We saw that against Kansas City. Josh Allen's been great. Tennessee's defense sucks. But Derrick Henry's the X factor in that. I mean, honestly, I could see him putting three or four touchdowns up on Buffalo um, for how weak that front line of defense is for Buffalo. So I'm going to say Tennessee might be an upset. I've been terrible with our gambling picks every week, but I've been pretty good on picking my upsets so far this year. I, I feel like I, I've correctly identified over the last three weeks, I think, three yeah, straight Cincinnati upset won. Picks. They were right there, man. They were right there. Um, <laughs> I, I picked Cincinnati <laughs> they last week. They were there week. in the first, T-Bone. Yeah. I picked Cincinnati last week as my upset special. I'm picking them as the team to be upset this week. I like the Lions at home. I know they're 0-5. Taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a good pick, BK. 
I think this is the spot where the Lions finally, finally are able to come through. Oh, the Bengals God. are beat up going into this one. They've got some offensive linemen that are potentially hurt. We'll see what the status looks like for Joe Mixon. He wasn't himself last week. I think the Lions, despite basically having zero wide receivers, I think they have a real chance to be able to win this one more so than people are giving them credit for. Well, so I'm going to take the Lions you know straight up against the Bengals. I say nut up or shut up, BK. Tomorrow in our BK and Ferrario pick them, I think you should take the Lions, whatever the line is. Yeah. Uh, plus three and a half? I say take it. We're not going to have that as part of it. Because oh, why it's, not? It's Be not a good game, but I love that line. I would absolutely take the Lions plus three I think and we half. should put an extra punishment on top of the BK and Ferrario what? punishment so that if you lose, it's two punishments in one for yeah. you truly believing that that trash is going to happen. I'm taking the Lions in the 101 ESPN pick them. Oh, hell no. Thank you, Steven. I would take them absolutely plus the three and a half points at home. That's a live dog. That's a live dog. I believe that they I could say win outright. If, that's, if that doesn't happen, you pay Tebow Matt Carpenter's money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved. Oh, no, in that's the show. not what I meant. <laughs> Last one here. Who's the individual player that you've got your eye on this weekend? We talked about the game. We talked about the upsets. Who's the individual player that you've got your eye on this weekend for one reason or another? Who's the Cowboys play? The Cowboys this Patriots. weekend have the Patriots. In New England. I want to see Dak Prescott. I I'm, I'm interested to see if he can, because I think he's in this, this middle tier of MVP conversations, Justin Herbert's in it, Lamar Jackson's in it, Josh Allen's in it. I want to see if Dak can set it over the top. I want to see that, and I want to see if he can put the Cowboys over the top in terms of the Super Bowl kind of mess in the NFC. Um, I know the Patriots aren't any good, but that defense is always, you, you wonder if they're going to have that break game where they're coming away with interceptions, with sacks, with pressure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eye, eye on Dak Prescott here because I want to see if this is the game where he kind of says, nah, I'm here with the MVP conversation. I'm going to keep my eye on Justin Fields. They're hosting the Green Bay Packers. I don't think they're going to win this game, but I think they're going to make it close because Green Bay, just like Tampa Bay, dealing with some injuries on the defensive front, I think this could be that coming out party game for Justin Fields where we look at it and go, wow, maybe he's starting to come out, get comfortable in Matt Nagy's system. He's someone to keep an eye on. And the other one I'm going to keep an eye on is Geno Smith of the Seahawks. He looked pretty good in his limited time against the Rams on Thursday Night Football oh, okay. last week. I wonder what he's he'll gonna, do against Pittsburgh. He's going to get broken like Russell Wilson was broken. I've got my eye on your guy, Matt Stafford, Tanner. Oh, good. Hopefully. He's I, been terrible the last two weeks. I know the numbers <laughs> looks good. He finished with 365 yards last week against the Seahawks. He was not good in that game. No. Nope. Same thing was true against Arizona as well. He's been slumping over the last couple of weeks after he looked like a legit MVP candidate in his first three weeks as a Ram. That is no longer the case. He's not in that conversation right now. And this weekend, they're traveling to New York to take on the Giants. He should put up big numbers. He should be able to have a really big day in this one against New York. We'll see. We'll see if he's able to do that. He hasn't been able to do it the last couple of weeks. And against the Seahawks, whose defense stinks. It's terrible. They're one of the worst defenses in the league. He did not look good. So I'm interested to see what Matt Stafford's able to do this weekend against the New York Giants. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. But coming up next, I think it's time for a Ferrario 5. The oh. five Cardinals trade chips for this offseason. We'll tell you who they are next on 101 ESPN. Wall-to-wall -wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. 
an absolute stunner. An absolutely stunning announcement by the St. Louis Cardinals. It has been reported now by Jeff Passan that the Cardinals have fired Mike Schiltz. There is a press conference that is going to be starting here momentarily. I just saw Bill DeWitt is on this press conference. John Mozalock is expected to be part of this as well. The news from just moments ago, Mike Schilt out as the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. We don't have a whole lot more details. This is as stunning to every person in the media as it is to you hearing it right now. We knew Mike Schilt had one year left on his deal. And the question was, will the Cardinals decide to extend him or not? And it appears they decided not to extend him. I'm very surprised by this because of the way that he was able to keep that locker room together this year, Alex. And every guy that you've heard talk about how they were able to get back on track, all of them credit Mike Schilt for the steady hand of being able to make sure that they were they, they stayed the course. And now he's out. He's no longer your manager. I'm stunned, I'm sure. Tomorrow we're going to have plenty of time to talk about where what this means for the offseason, where they go from here, who the candidates will be. But right now, let's stick on Schilt and what this decision means. Were you surprised to hear this news moments ago? Yeah, very surprised because he still had one more year and you're firing him before that. And, you know, you, I understand the players talked so highly of him, but you wonder if that's just locker room speech to get you through the season. I mean, I remember the conversation we had with John Nagowski. I remember when I asked the question, of Mike Shilton, he hesitated and stumbled over his words of his thoughts on Mike Schilt as a manager. You hear the positives, you hear the negatives, and what we played yesterday of his interview on KSDK, BK, how much of that do you sit here and take into consideration of why Mike Schilt is on the outside looking in? I don't think that's what it is. I think a lot went into this. I'm really interested of where they're going to go from here because this is now the second manager who I don't want to say inexperienced because he managed in the minors, but you've gone two managers with no major league baseball experience and you fired both of them since Tony La Russa. So do you go that direction again or do you go with a guy who's got some MLB experience? It makes me wonder if Mike Schilt started having some more say or wanted more say in some of the decisions and the Cardinals didn't want that. Um, I don't know. That's speculation by me, uh, but that is something <laughs> worth considering. We are going to go now live to the press conference. Uh, John Mosellock and Bill DeWitt Jr. speaking to the media after the announcement that Mike Schilt has been fired as the Cardinals manager. After a successful 2021 season, and it just ended a little over a week ago, we have determined that we have determined that we have a philosophical difference in the direction that our major league club is going. We feel like at this time that it is best for us to end our partnership with Mike Schill. So I know I notified him earlier today that um, he has been dismissed of his duties. At this point, I will open it up to questions. Thank you. So can you describe the nature of the philosophical differences the organization had with Mike at this time? Not really. Um, all I can say is, is, is that, uh, you know, where we felt the team was going, um, we were struggling to get on the same page and, and, you know, ultimately uh, with him having one year remaining left on his contract, we could have certainly gone into uh, 2022 with, with him, um, having that over him and we just decided internally that it would just be best to um, to separate now and um, then take a fresh look as we enter the new season. 
Has there been a determination made on the status of the rest of the coaching staff? Uh, the rest of the coaching staff, I, I am hopeful, will return. Um, there are a few individuals that, that have um, their contracts expiring shortly, but I will begin in earnest next week to, uh, to touch on that. Any Wu? Mo, I was wondering if you could expand on some of the philo philosophical differences between the two, uh, the two parties. Not really. Um, as, I, as I said, uh, you know, there's reasons behind why we do that. And, you know, what direction we're trying to go with is, is something that, you know, we tend to keep private anyway. Um, but just the overall health of this club, we feel very optimistic as we look at 2022 and just felt like the leadership downstairs um, needed to be on the same page. Thank you. Benjamin Hoffman. Mo, uh, can you describe, uh, was this past season a success in your opinion for the St. Louis Cardinals or how would you rate what just happened for the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, I think, uh, as, as I stated before, I think uh, 2021 it was, it was a real success and, and something that um, for all of us that were part of the organization are going to take enormous pride in. Um, anytime you, you, you go on a 17 game winning streak and, and actually create history for your organization, it's something that you, you take enormous pride in. Um, a lot of the times these types of decisions aren't solely based on, on just the season or, or, or specifically more, more to the point, it's, it's directionally where we want to go. And so, um, you know, these decisions are, are, are never easy. Um, but, you know, ultimately we feel like this is something we had to do. And can you describe the importance of, I guess, preserving the young arms that the St. Louis Cardinals have, notably in Alex Reyes and some of these young arms that have been used at the major league level and preparing them for the following seasons, the importance of that? Well, it's very important. I mean, obviously we're excited about having, um, you know, four quality starters that we think we're, we're pretty comfortable with. Obviously with the emergence of Woody, that, that was great to see at the end of the season. But, yeah, we're going to have some difficult decisions on how to think through Reyes, Hicks, and, and others in terms of their role and how to use them. Um, this past week, we did not really address that. We did discuss it. But, uh, um, you know, ultimately, uh, um, we'll see how things sort of develop over the winter. Thanks. Zach Silver. And Mo, I guess now as you look for a new manager, what are some qualities or, or what are some directional ways you want to see the big league club going? You know, as, as, as you guys could imagine, I mean, things have sort of um, kind of moved quickly over the last week. And in terms of, of what we're going to look for, you know, I do think we have some quality internal candidates. Um, so ultimately, I'll just sort of, my staff will take the next uh, few days to sort of catch our breaths and then see what that next step looks like. Jim Hayes. Mo, understanding that you don't want to um, discuss what the philosophical differences are, I was wondering if you could just give us some context for these differences that uh, became increasing over recent time, or is this sort of ongoing differences without saying what they are? Was this something that came up later, or has it been sort of going on for some time? 
Yeah, candidly, it's been something that just popped up recently. And, and so, you know, ultimately, as I stated, I mean, you certainly can always go into next year with, with a, a manager on, on a one-year deal. And, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But given, given all the, the sort of directional parts that we're trying to pull together, it just made more sense for us to, to cut ties now. We're listening to John Mosaloc and Bill DeWitt Jr.'s press conference after the team has announced that they have fired manager Mike Schilt here on 101 ESPN. From conversation about an extension, and had you guys offered one to Schilt this offseason? I had no discussions on an extension to this point. Um, You know, candidly, uh, um, you know, as we were looking to the future, we were trying to just understand what we wanted that to look like. But um, as we looked into things further, had further discussions internally, we again, we just decided that we were going to make this decision. Were some of the differences that were, can some of them be pointed to the offensive direction? And we saw kind of a pivot in the offensive approach this year. Um, is that tied to the way that looked and the way it needed to look moving forward? Um, again, I don't want to get into specifics. Um, you know, I'm not finger pointing here. Uh, the decision we made has been made. And, uh, you know, ultimately, um, we have to stand by that because that's the decision we decided on. And so these are not easy. Um, Mike Schilt was, uh, was in the Cardinal organization a long time um, on a personal level. I hired him back in 2003 on Christmas Eve. I think I made a job offer to him. And uh, he entered as a scout, um, went on to uh, – switch over to player development, ultimately worked his way up through the minor leagues and became a major league manager. And uh, it's an amazing accomplishment uh, given his uh, his story. And so, you know, it's, this was not something that we came to um, quickly. It was not something that we just jumped onto, but I will say that um, where we are is, is what we felt was in the best interest of the organization. Derek Gould. Mo, maybe this is a question for both you and Bill coming at it from different angles, but I'll ask you first. You guys have for years talked about how continuity is a strength. And in a lot of ways, she personified that in the sense that he grew up in the organization like any player. I'm wondering if since this is a rupture of philosophical differences, what that if you could square that circle for us in the sense that here's a guy who has been part of the organization for so long. How could there be such a parting of philosophical differences, differences if that's a strength? Well, I still think um, our continuity is a strength, um, but you still have internal issues that can happen. And um, people evolve, people change, um, ideas change, philosophies change. And, and ultimately, uh, um, it's Bill's responsibility, my, respons- my responsibility to, to try to keep the organization going directionally where we'd like it to. And, and so, um, again, these are not easy decisions. We didn't come to it quickly. Um, I think we're, we're, we're proud of the fact that we've had that continuity. We're proud that we've had the ability to promote from within and have people from our system advance. And, you know, candidly, I, I hope we can continue to do that. You, uh, this is two consecutive managers that you've brought sort of from internal realms. Does that maybe in, encourage you to look outside in this next time? Would you, would you, you might put an emphasis on looking from outside the organization? 
I'm not really prepared to answer that at this point. Um, I, I think we had to get the first step of this accomplished, which we've done, and now we will begin huddling and, and deciding what, what makes sense for us moving forward. Randy character. Mo, uh, in regards to the roster that you put together and gave Mike Schultz to manage this year, how did you feel about the way the, the group was managed? I felt the team was, was managed well. Um, you know, overall, I think, you know, the roster evolved. As you know, um, we had to make some mid-season mid changes because the original um, version of what we broke in spring was not working ideally. Um, but ultimately, I, I think, uh, given the way we finished and how we played, this is not a reflection simply on on wins and losses, right? It's not simply a question of were you happy with with how the game was managed. It really was more at a higher level of where we saw the team going and where we wanted it to go. And, and you, uh, in your last answer, you talked about philosophies changing. Would you say that in regards to these differences, your philosophies have changed or over the course of years of managing the Cardinals that Mike's philosophies changed that caused this divergence? Well, I'm not going to speak for him here, but I'll speak for myself. And yes, my, my view on the game and, and how you do things is always changing. Um, I'd like to think of myself and, and the staff as someone that's, you know, they're, we're always looking to, to get better get smarter um, you know, not just follow trends, but try to help create some if, if that's at all possible. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's our responsibility to, to put a quality product out there and how we go about it and the resources we use to do that is incumbent upon all of us. Thank you. Mark, hey, um, Mo, what is player uh, input at all part of this decision? And then also, can you describe the nature of the conversation you and Mike had? Was he shocked? Um, not going to get into who I spoke with or exactly the um, details of, of how we got to this decision. Um, I will characterize my conversation with Mike Schilt as, yes, he was very shocked. And most people around town, are, are people reading this correctly that it's a surprise move? Did, I mean, did you come to this decision in a short amount of time or had this been building? Um, I would say the conclusions came rather quickly, but it was something that um, it was, was brought to my attention over time. Katie, do you have a follow-up? Katie Wu? I do. Mo, when you came to this decision, how much did 2022, which has long been estimated as this team's biggest window of contention, factor in on, on this being a, a must next season being a must-win season? Uh, not at all. Um, it, this again is not was not a decision solely based on like wins and losses and anything. Thank you. You're welcome. And Fredericton. Well, is, is Jeff Albert going to be back as the hitting coach? And, and, and I guess to ask bluntly, was, was the tension between him and Schilt at times part of the reason that led to this? Um, as of right now, Jeff, Jeff Albert is under contract, so I would expect him to be back. And in terms of uh, that being the sole reason for this decision, the answer is no. 
Jeff Passon. Hi, Mo. Um, I just want to make sure and clarify this. This was entirely a baseball-related decision, correct? Or were there other factors uh, aside from baseball that led to it? Oh, no, this is a baseball decision. Derek Gould? Mo, it, it's unusual. I have a question for Mo and for Bill then. Um, Mo, it's unusual for teams to make an announcement of this enormity on a day where there's also a National League playoff game. Does that speak to how rapidly things change today? I think that's a fair question or statement, yes. Um, and did not see, did not want this to, to be something that would drag off into next week or, or when we would have had that, that one day window. So uh, both Bill and I um, requested permission to do this. Uh, so we could do this today rather than push it out further. Bill, I wanted to ask you what this says to the commitment you've made to the philosophy spearheaded by the front office at this point. I know you don't make these decisions lightly. I think you've told me before that you prefer not to fire people and that it goes to a link. I wonder what this says about the commitment you've made to the front office and the philosophy you see them steering the team. You cut out a little bit there at the end, but I, I think what you're asking is, how does this uh, relate to the philosophy of the front office? Not, I think, you know, Mo said it well, this is based on, uh, you know, differences uh, between uh, Mo and his group and and the manager. And it's, um, uh, you know, didn't have anything to do with this year and, and uh, you know, you also referenced continuity before. I, I value continuity, but, uh, you know, I value continuity if we're continuing to head in the right direction. So, um, you know, this is a decision that everybody bought into, and uh, that's kind of the way it played out. Bill, while the team is going through that historic winning streak, was this something that you were what was on your mind? Was this uh, a reckoning that you knew was on the horizon? Are you asking me? Yes. Yeah, I'm asking you as this team is going through the winning streak. Are you? I mean, I, I wasn't actively thinking about the managerial situation at that point in time. I mean, obviously, I was engaged in all the games. Uh, so, you know, Mo and I have, have conversations, if not daily, you know, often about the direction of the organization and so forth. And, uh, you know, when the season ended, we huddled and, um, you know, this is how it came out. I guess maybe a better way for me to ask, and this will be my last question, is were you and Mo, if you want to chime in on this, I understand. But during that, were you aware of a gap growing in the philosophical differences between the leadership of your team? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into, you know, when and how and, you know, when did it start and when did it end? I think uh, I think Mo said it pretty well. This is, uh, you know, something that we came to and, and uh, you know, decision was made. Ben Hockman, did you have a follow-up? I, I did. Um, I guess my question is, if in regards to the term philosophical, I mean, can you explain what I'm missing here? Where if you're the boss of somebody and you have a philosophy, 
why can't you just tell him to do that philosophy? I know that's a very basic thing, but can you respond to that, Mo? Uh, sure. Um, I can tell you to like jump out of your car right now and you may choose not to, um, you know, it's, you know, people can think on their own, people can make decisions on their own. And, you know, a lot of this is about, you know, creating autonomy, but there are certain things that we would like to see done. And, you know, ultimately, uh, really touching on more of Derek's point of, of the continuity of thinking is it is evolving. It does change over time. But ultimately, we just felt we were at a place where we weren't going to have a meeting of the minds. Gotcha. Thank you. Rish, Rick Hummel. Mo, is there a certain type of manager you're looking for now? Um, you know, obviously, we feel like the person coming in is inheriting a very good club. Um, so there's kind of two ways to look at this. It's, it's you know, maybe chasing someone with, you know, experience and success, or it might be someone that just has a lot of familiarity and understanding what we already have. So I think um, in terms of, of what we'll do or the directionally of how we'll do this, it's, it's going to take us a little time to sort through. But, you know, I don't want us to have to drag our feet. I don't want this something to go, you know, into mid-November where we don't have this resolved. Um, so we'll work quickly at this. And in terms of nailing that exact profile that you just asked for, I'd have to say that's still to be determined. Without naming names, do you have a candidate or two on your current coaching staff that would be under consideration? Yes, I think so. Thank you. Thank you. Ben Fredrickson. Uh, Mr. DeWitt, um, were you expecting or hopeful that you guys would agree with an extension with Schilt this offseason? Was that a, a plan for you? And can you speak to, um, I guess, just the idea of this philosophical differences when we saw you know, a lot of things that Schilt kind of prioritized seem to be things that you guys valued, you know, defense and, um, you know, cleaning up some of the details that had gotten a little ragged um, and how that sits with you. You know, I wasn't thinking actively about an extension at the end of the year. I mean, uh, Mike had a contract that goes into, you know, there was another year left on the contract. So you don't really think about those things or talk about them until after the season's over. And, uh, you know, the season is now over and uh, we got together and and kind of went through kind of where we stood as an organization. And, uh, you know, that's that's sort of the, the way it played out. And just your idea that the, the philosophical that they couldn't that Moe's group, you said, and, and the manager couldn't get on the same page. Um, it seemed like a lot of the things that, you know, you guys value Cardinals baseball being about were things that the team had done well um, in, in recent seasons with cleaning up the defense, the base running, things of that nature. Um, did, did something jump out to you as being so different that it couldn't be solved? You know, in today's baseball world, it's, uh, it's, the business has gotten more and more complicated. Um, you can see the growth in baseball operations and the staffs. And, and so there's more to it really than, you know, an element or two on the field. So, and, you know, one thing you want to make sure is everybody's on the same page and, uh, you know, that's pretty critical or you're going to kind of stumble along the way. So, uh, you know, that was part of the discussion that, that we had. Thanks. Jeff Jones. 
Mo, you've mentioned a couple of times sort of the strangeness of the timing of this, given what's going around around the league today. Was there concern that if this move didn't happen quickly for you all, that you might miss out on potential candidates who might be candidates for other jobs as well? Uh, no, really the, the the thrust of this was was more for, for Mike's benefit to just cut the cord now and not have it drag out and then you know be left hanging later. And so it was more of a, a, the, the, the speed of this was more to just uh, hopefully benefit him. He, uh, he several times during the season, especially when things were going badly in June, made comments to the effect of, of managing with what he had and doing the best he could with the players he had on the roster. Was there frustration throughout the season between perhaps the dugout and the front office based on the speed or maybe lack thereof from his perspective of outside additions? And did that become a part of this conversation? Uh, no, it did not. Randy, Several front offices have parted ways with managers because of a disagreement as to how to implement analytics. Obviously, you have an analytically inclined group in the front office. How much, if at all, did the implementation of analytics play a role into this? Again, I really don't want to start like, you know, carving out where this philosophical difference became because it's, I just don't think it's fair. Um, you know, look, we, 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 we want things to always work out. You don't ever want to have these types of, of press conferences. You like to everything be rosy, but we just weren't in a spot where we thought we were positioning ourselves for ultimate success, not just for today, but long-term. And so we made a, a very difficult decision, one that we did not come to lightly. And, uh, you know, both, both Bill and I and, and others will tell you it's, it's agonizing. It's not fun, but, you know, in the betterment of what we think for the organization, we had to do it. If you're listening for the fast lane, you're listening to 101 ESP and the fast lane will be coming up momentarily. The Cardinals have announced that they have fired manager Mike Schilt. You're listening to the press conference live on 101 ESPN with John Mosaylock and Bill DeWitt Jr. What, uh, uh, how did you react when you got this phone call that uh, Mo wanted to make this move? Well, first of all, I didn't get a phone call. I mean, Mo and I uh, have constant communication. Uh, I was going to say throughout the season, but really year-round on all kinds of baseball matters. And, um, you know, I'm not going to comment on a point in time where this decision was actually made or, or what our thinking was. But, you know, generally at the end of the year, we all sit down and talk about where we are, where we're headed, and, you know, how we think we can do better. And, uh, you know, that's sort of baseball. You, you play it one season at a time, but then you look forward to the future. And so, you know, we have those conversations. And uh, you know, so here we are. Thanks, guys. You're passing. Mo, I know you won't talk about the philosophical differences, but can you – Say what the Cardinals' philosophy is and what you would like it to be going forward. Well, look, we are we're an organization that that has a a trust in in creating a pipeline from from our minor league system to our big leagues for both players and staff. Um, we are a, we're, we're a typical organization that tries to stay internal with what we're trying to do. Um, we try to, to help individuals grow into these roles. 
And, you know, for where we were in this point in time, we're not making this decision on a reaction of the season. This is a decision that as we start to look forward, what do we want to most look like? And what do we want, how do we want that to, to be run? And so rather than, than for us to sort of debate or talk about these details, again, want the very best for Mike Schilt moving forward, whatever should happen with his career. But ultimately, the decisions that you know both Bill and myself and some others came to was what we want to do and where we want to go, we needed to go a different way. I mean, some of those things that you're talking about there sound more like player development, which, of course, the big league manager doesn't handle. Um, and when you talk about philosophical differences, like you understand why we're curious about this, right? If if you're citing that as the reason for firing him after a playoff season, after a 17-game winning streak, uh, the details there do seem to make make a bit of difference, do they not? Again, I'm 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 here to protect employees. I'm here to protect him. Um, you know, if he wants to discuss those with you, that's his choice. Thank you. Not mine. Ryan Fagan, Sporting News. Hey, Mo, I just wanted to clarify something. Um, I, I thought I heard you say earlier, I think when Commission asked the question, is, is there a candidate or two that you have in mind? And if so, could we see this process wrap up quickly? Uh, as I stated, there are some internal candidates that we, we do have confidence in. Um, could it move quickly? Yes. Um, but uh, I want to take a few days to sort of just take a step back, catch our breath, and then uh, um, take a hard look at what that looks like. Thank you. Ben Fredrickson. I'm good, thank you. Okay, so Martin, did you have any follow-up? Martin Kilcoin? Uh Yeah, I did, yeah. Mo, was there a meeting between you and Mike where you addressed these philosophical differences and did, was there a chance where he has to either get on board or get off board? Was there a discussion like that? where he had you guys address these issues and you basically say whether he's on board or not? Uh, no, it, it was, it was more of a, a collection of information that ultimately got me, got us to where we are. And so, no, it was not a, it was not a open meeting. Had, had you guys met since the season ended in person? Uh, we had met last Friday as a staff. Yes. Brian Kelly. Okay, Ryan, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, Mo, it's interesting that that Mike has been with the organization as long as he has, and now you've got the philosophical differences. Was this something that was possible, say, a week or five days ago? Were you thinking about making this change at that time? I would say like in, in any decision making, there's a lot of organic reasons for, for things over time. But I would say over the last uh, five, six days, it, it was something that came to a head. Okay, I don't, I don't see any more hands up. Um, looks like we, uh, we've covered everything here. Thank you again, Bill and Mo.
Thank you, everyone. Apologize for the short notice with our. All right. That was the press conference live from Bill DeWitt Jr. and John Mosaloc. Just to recap really quickly, and we'll get to you to the fast lane momentarily. John Mosaloc cited philosophical differences between the front office and Mike Schilt as the main reason as to why Mike Schilt is no longer the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. He said he expects most of the staff to remain in place, and that does include Jeff Albert. He said Jeff Albert's inclusion moving forward was not the, quote, sole reason as to why Mike Schilt was fired. He said they do have internal candidates. There are also external candidates that will be considered. He doesn't expect this to go into mid-November. He does want to take some time, though. And he said there could be experience or familiarity that will go into their decision for the next manager. Also said these issues popped up recently, and they asked permission for Major League Baseball to make this announcement today when there's a Game 5 of the NLDS. Typically, this is is the type of thing that MLB would prefer teams do when there is an off day. All of that is the case. And I thought the money quote was when Jeff Passan asked John Mosaloc about why philosophically this happened now and what the philosophy is of the team. Mo basically said, we believe in promoting from within. Sounds like there could have been some questions as to whether or not the manager in the front office were on the same page when it came to the young players and what their roles were moving forward. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The fast lane is going to have a ton of breakdown on this from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 with plenty more on Mike Schilt, the breaking news of the day. Mike Schilt fired as manager of the Cardinals. More reaction with the fast lane next. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.